You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on The Mandalorian, The High Republic, and all the other cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? Wow, what's up, guys? I mean, in regards to these two Mandalorian episodes these past few weeks, I just got to quote Luke from The Empire Strikes Back. It feels like something out of a dream. (laughs) (laughs) And I cannot wait to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, this is uh, lots of game-changing stuff in The Mandalorian and in Star Wars. And it's it feels like Star Wars is never going to be the same again for for, for the better. You know, I really feel like The Mandalorian is kind of this season alone has shown us what Star Wars, the future of Star Wars is, and it's very, very, very bright indeed. To quote Kyle. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, obviously, I mean, we'll, we got a couple bits of news to recap, but as has been the case for our past couple episodes, not a whole lot of big news going on right now. Um, so we're just going to be breaking down these past couple episodes of The Mandalorian and talking about all the incredible stuff that we've seen. Um, but first of all, before we get into that, um, first and foremost, just want to acknowledge, uh, David Prowse, the actor, original actor from the OT who played Darth Vader, um, who passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, so we just want to send our condolences to his family and thank him for, um, all that he did to contribute to the legacy of Star Wars. Also, uh, there was a new announcement about, uh, Star Wars, the High Republic. Obviously we've got the first novel and the first content and stuff coming, uh, for that in January. Um, but they recently announced, uh, the second full length novel, uh, called, uh, Star Wars, the High Republic, the rising storm from Kevin Scott. That's coming July 6th, 2021. Um, and they, uh, released the cover art for that uh, as well, which looks pretty cool. So um, we've got that to look forward to. There's also been some rumors going around about maybe a new animated series set during the High Republic. Um, and, you know, I just thought we'd throw that out there, but we'll get more into the High Republic and stuff um, probably once the Mandalorian season is done. And especially, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot more to discuss with that in January once that first novel comes out and we'll probably do a review of that and start getting more into that time period um, because that'll basically be the next big Star Wars thing going on once this season of Mandalorian is over. Um, But yeah, other than that, uh, we're here to talk Ahsoka and Boba Fett. So 
Um, let's just jump right into these episodes. Um, and of course, we'll start with uh, with episode 13, The Jedi. Um, and now we'll try to just go through these and, and hit all the big plot points. We're not necessarily going to give like a, a beat by beat recap, but there's just so much to talk about in here that we're still going to kind of just go through in chronological order and just, you know, hit on all the big stuff. Um, but first of all, I don't know about you guys, but just first impressions on this Ahsoka episode, like going into it, you know, first I was imagining like when Bogatan says, you know, go to the planet of like the forest planet of Corvus and the city of Kaladin. I thought maybe this is where Ahsoka was living or she was just staying mm-hmm. with these people or something. And so Mando was going to find her like in some tree hut or something or meditating. And it was going to be yes. like this Luke on the <laughs> cliff type thing. reveal, like maybe halfway through the episode or even towards the end of the episode after Mando's had to search for her or something like that. Then at the end of the previous episode where we see Moff Gideon looking at the, what we now know for sure are dark troopers, I'm thinking, Oh shoot, maybe he's coming after them and we're going to see Ahsoka in action in this episode. And it's not just going to be her like explaining the force and the child to Mando and stuff. And so I was kind of prepared to see Ahsoka in action. I was not prepared to see her in action 30 seconds into the episode. (laughs) And so when this episode starts off and you hear the gong ringing and you see this you know, just sort of dark, hazy city and all these guys scrambling. And then you see these guards in the forest shooting their blasters. And then just those blazing white lightsabers come into the frame. I was losing my mind. Like I was not prepared for that whatsoever. Um, and Ahsoka's just moving through the forest, cutting these guys down, you know, igniting the sabers, cutting down one guy at a time, deactivating the sabers and just like disappearing into the mist. And it was just shot and staged so incredibly um and then just her look in live action like now i know there's maybe some minor details we can nitpick on and and certain people have been um i i guess depending on your own preferences you know certain people may be more bothered than others about just the fact that her like head tails and stuff aren't as long in this show as they are in rebels and this takes place after rebels so it doesn't exactly line up but i felt like as far as a live action interpretation of an animated character like obviously they're not going to look exactly the same i thought it was pretty freaking spectacular pretty spot on and head tails aside i mean the, just the makeup and the contacts and the outfit and the lightsabers and everything looked fantastic if we hadn't heard the rumors that uh, Rosario Dawson was playing Ahsoka I would have had no idea who that was because she really just disappeared into the role and like the makeup and everything I mean again you couldn't even tell who it was other than just it was Ahsoka Tano so um, completely nailed it for me Um, so yeah I mean before we just even get into the story and everything what do you guys think of just the opening scene and uh, in our first glimpse of Ahsoka in live action yeah you said it best they nailed it that was my feeling right after I watched the episode and saw it, the whole performance, but just in regards to that opening, like you said, it was so unexpected. I mean, once you saw those white lightsabers ignite, I just thought, wow, they're wasting no time bringing Ahsoka and introducing her to the audience of the Mandalorian at the TV show. And then for the diehard fans like us who've been following her journey ever since the Clone Wars, their first appearance in live action. And it, it was just, smacked you right in the face right away like here you go this is it and i really think that was a genius move because 
like you kind of said, Kyle, I was expecting the exact same thing for that planet Corvus to be more of this lush forest planet where Ahsoka is living now, kind of being more in tune with the living force and life around this planet. And her mission with Sabine has been done and it's over with, and this is what she's doing now, but it was the total opposite. And that's kind of what, what I love about it. It was just so unexpected. And for us fans to speculate on this stuff all the time, it just kept you guessing as far as why Ahsoka's here. Just talking in the instance of this very first scene and seeing her take down the soldiers, it was great. But what I think is genius about it is how they easily could have done a big buildup just to cater to us diehard fans. Like you hear these characters mentioning a shadowy figure who moves that we can't see, who but is this being described as a Jedi. And we know Bo-Katan already mentioned Ahsoka. So it could have just led to this big buildup for the reveal of, of Ahsoka just for us hardcore fans to geek out when we finally see her in live action for the first time after all this buildup. But it, that wouldn't really do much for just the fans of The Mandalorian as a TV show and some casual fans who aren't really familiar with Ahsoka. So it wouldn't have much of an impact for them. But the way they did it here, it just right away showed that kind of audience that this is a character who means business, a Jedi who is to be reckoned with, just showing how cool she is right off the bat. And I think this makes any fan who are just who are just watching The Mandalorian take to this character right away, just showing how cool they can be as a Jedi. But at the same time, too, it's awesome for us hardcore fans who are geeking out of seeing Ahsoka do all this awesome stuff in the first few minutes of the episode. So I just think it was a brilliant way to do it, having a nice balance of bringing, introducing Ahsoka to a brand new audience for the first time and just showing how cool she can be. But at the same time, us hardcore fans are just geeking out at every shot and moment we're seeing here in this introduction. I thought it was brilliant. Definitely didn't go the way I was expecting, but I was so glad it didn't because, man, it was just mind-blowing seeing it for the first time. And even the subsequent times that we've watched the episode, it just blows me away Mm -hmm. all the time. It was fantastic. There, there's so much to process in this episode, but I think obviously that you can't to start with Ahsoka, like you said, Cal. And the one thing with Ahsoka that you have to, we all have to remember, is that she's still not a, you know, a very commonly mainstream known character for, this, you know, the mainstream audience. And when you're going to, you know, put a character like Ahsoka into um, a mainstream, one of the, the probably the one well, that probably is the most popular TV show in maybe the world, if, if not America, if, you know, in the world, whatever, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's, it's huge. You know, you have to do, a, you have to handle it delicately because you want to have this character come off, off the right foot because there's lots of rumors about her own TV series, backdoor pilots, all this stuff. You hear all this stuff, you know, before the episode even drops. You cast someone with a big resume like Ro- uh, Rosario Dawson and there's a lot of expectations. And so there's a lot riding on this episode besides this the narrative. And the narrative is still big. I mean, it's not like it's a, you know, it's a, it's just a throwaway, you know, quote unquote filler or whatever you want to call it. You know, that word again. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is that you put all the, that stuff together, there's a lot riding on this episode, I think, you know, again. And so with that, you have to handle the introduction to this character so perfectly, so right, so meticulously that 
one wrong step can make it everything crumble because the mainstream audience won't be into it. And, and then to be quite honest, the, the, I think the most important thing, the hardcore fans will, will, will you know, potentially not be into it. And if they're not into it, they're not going to be talking about it. And if the hardcore fans aren't talking about it, that means the regular fans probably won't like get, you know, wonder what's going on or whatever, you know, I mean, because think about this baby Yoda, it, it was a phenomenon, but like that was because everyone was excited about the Mandalorian and everyone talked about it. And everyone goes, Oh, what baby Yoda's a baby, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so everything kind of feeds off the hype. You know, they depend on us to hype these things up. So then people are interested and check it out. So I say all that to get to the very beginning of this episode. And this episode starts off with just, I, I, you couldn't, you couldn't have started it any better because when you start off with this beautiful landscape with in this dark, dim, hazy world, and all of a sudden these white lightsabers come into like the frame, it's just it's a eye-opening, like, whoa, what what is I'm like, I mean, even if I was not a fan, that is a very like powerful image. Yeah, just, it grabs you right away. It, yeah. yeah, it's it's the contrast is so rad. And that's the thing I think that people are just I, who maybe who aren't like, well, I don't get it. Well, you know, I think to me that this was such a hit for that. This is introduction to so many people uh, for Ahsoka that this is a great introduction for that character. And to have that opening and have her right off the bat was just such a brilliant idea. And, and, and honestly, gutsy move by Filoni and, and Favreau. Like they, they said, like, you know what, we can't, we can't just wait around. We got to cut right into it. Don't, don't try to, you know, beat around the bush and try to be cute about it. No, let's just get into it. Let's show them Ahsoka. Let's so, you know, show the fans what they want to see, which is they want to see Ahsoka in live action. And let's show her what she can do. She's a powerful character. She's a freaking Jedi. Yes, I said Jedi. And so <laughs> let's, you know, let's do it. Let's just show show everyone what she is. Because you have to sell the audience that she's legit. Like, why is she, why are they going to bring Grogu to her? You know, or Baby mm -hmm. Yoda at this point. So I, I say, again, I, I'm kind of going and talking in circles a little bit, which no change there. But I just got to say that I say all that because there's a lot of so many so many of these creative decisions go these I, all these things are all thought of before they make them and when they when they are executed well and they actually work like it's a big deal and to me to execute this introduction right off the bat and establish that for Star Wars fans like us like oh my god we're seeing Ahsoka live action and she's incredible like this is amazing and then mainstream fans are like oh my god there's a Jedi with white lightsabers. She's got two of them. Like, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a win, win. Like Filoni, like, he nailed it. I mean, granted, like some people don't like it, whatever, but let's just be real. Majority of people liked it. And it's, and it, it was, they liked it so much that they talked about it on Vanity Fair. Now, granted, like maybe it's already planned, but if it was such a, if it was a disastrous thing, maybe they wouldn't have posted it. You know what I mean? Like, so the fact is that there was a lot of buzz around this episode it was buzz after it. I mean, people were, I think, for the most part, from what I've seen, uh, there's a lot of talk about it. People were ranting and raving about it. Even people that weren't hardcore fans on my Facebook page, I've saw people getting excited about it. I'm like, you know that Ahsoka, they, they're winning with this by the fact that these all these mainstream people are talking about it. I mean, a lady at work told me, she's like, oh my God, 
you know, she talked, mm-hmm. she's like, I, that was such a crazy episode. I'm like, yeah, Ahsoka, man. She's like, well, yeah, but I don't even know Ahsoka. I didn't, I don't watch the Clone Wars, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, see, and that's exactly my point is that this episode has won people over for the character who don't even know who she is. And, and that all starts with that introduction to her character. So it is this, that opening shot is just so incredible. I, when I was eating my pizza uh, for this episode and I, and I remember I was so excited, couldn't wait. And then when they got right into it, I went, Oh my God, they're, they're, they're <laughs> wasting time. They're just going right into it. Okay. And I was just, yeah, it was, it was mind blowing that that introduction was maybe one of the best in star Wars for live action. It was, it was simply incredible. Yeah, it was pretty freaking cool. Also, just going back to something you said about the visuals and the way that this whole planet has like a just a sort of like dark, murky vibe, very like earthy color tones and all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously that's that's consistent throughout the whole episode. And I think obviously you had to have Dave Filoni write and direct this one to uh, kind of shepherd Ahsoka's transition from uh, animation to live action um but gosh just like the way he directed this and his eye for for the visuals and just the color palettes like you said i feel like it was an intentional choice throughout so that every time you saw those lightsabers ignite it was just such a beautiful striking contrast um and i feel like no shot there was wasted like And I mean, lightsabers are always cool, right? But like in the prequel trilogy, we see Jedi with lightsabers on screen all the time. This is like, it's the first time we've ever seen uh, lightsabers in this show. I mean, aside from the Darksaber, which also the first time we saw that was like a very particular, like really cool reveal. Um, But I feel like throughout this episode, like the whole thing was almost just framed to make those lightsabers pop. Um, and I feel like it worked really well. Also just loved the whole like samurai Western aesthetic that of course Dave Filoni would be going for knowing how much he's studied and been influenced by the same like Kurosawa films and Western films that influenced George Lucas. So I love how this whole thing was just like an homage to that. Um, and it's interesting because honestly, like this is one of those episodes that I really liked it the first time around. And then it, but like it grew on me more like probably my second and third viewing um because i will say this one you know in comparison to maybe an episode like the heiress which is very tight very fast-paced very action-packed this one is a little more like slow and deliberate in just sort of its pacing and some of the shot choices and stuff like that which i think the first time i watched it was like not a big gripe or anything but you know I, i felt like could have been better Um, but I think part of that was my own anticipation. Like he's kind of taking his time working through the story and I'm still thinking that Moff Gideon is going to show up at the end of this episode. And so I'm like, man, we got places to be, we got stuff to get to like, hurry it up. Um, and once we saw like this whole story play out and I figured like, oh, okay, that's just what this episode is. And they're still saving some stuff for later, like going back and watching it again and kind of appreciating it for what it was and removing what I expected to happen. And again, just kind of realizing, again, taking into account some of those influences and things and realizing that the slower pace and and some of the shot choices and stuff was maybe more a deliberate choice as opposed to like a shortcoming. Um, I've just come to appreciate the artistry of this episode more and more as time has gone by. I've already rewatched it probably like five or six times at least. And honestly, for me, like on the one hand, I was really anxious going into the next episode because we had no idea what to expect after this. 
Um, but at the same time, I remember it being like Wednesday of this past week. And I was like, man, we've only got two more days till the next episode of the Mandalorian. And I'm not done processing the last one yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so like they could have waited two weeks after this episode and I would have been okay. Still just taking in this one. Um, you know, just again, Ahsoka's characterization, the visuals, all that stuff was great. And we haven't even talked about Mando and the child actually showing up in the episode yet. So, uh, then, and I think a real quick, uh, more than any episode of the series, this the anticipation and build up for it. It felt like going into a new Star Wars movie. Yeah, more so than any episode of the series so far. The fact that at least for me, um, I was able to watch it at midnight when it dropped. So I know I was watching it right when it came out, just like a, we would for a Star Wars movie and knowing what was going to unfold in it. But yet not knowing how it's going to play out. It just really felt like when you're watching it for the first time, you're just taking so much in and processing it that once you do see it, a second time and more times it does just keep getting better and better like most star wars films for me anyway when i see them on multiple times you just process it more you know what to expect going into it another time and you just appreciate all the little nuances and other details that go in to the actual story and just the look of everything so i know what you mean as far as it just getting better and better when you see it on multiple times but i just think it really had that anticipation of a new star wars movie feel to it going into it and then how you react afterwards kind of processing everything like you would after a new star wars movie it really had that feel like no other episode had in my opinion for the series yeah definitely and that's I think a good point that's a, that's a super good point because i i kind of felt the same way tim i was really excited about going in I mean, I mean, I'm excited every week to but sure this, yeah. this episode had a real extra yeah thing to it mm -hmm. you know and I think obviously because we're all diehard fans and love the Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff, we had that anticipation of knowing not only are we going to see Mando finding a Jedi, but we're going to see Ahsoka Tano in live action. And that means a lot more to us than it does to just the general audience. But like you were saying, Paul, like I love how this is also an entry point for a lot – like just making her accessible to a lot of other people who maybe haven't seen those shows. Um, and I've seen a lot of people out online like telling their friends like, OK, now here are the, the – episodes of Clone Wars and Rebels that you need to go back and watch to like get the gist of Ahsoka's character and find out what's going on with the Mandalorians and all that kind of stuff. So um just I think you guys saw this report too, but it was I forget where it came from, but how the Clone Wars and Rebels had like a big old spike in viewership on Disney Plus ever since this episode aired. Good. Just as far as a lot of people I probably did, checking yeah. out for the first time and Fans like us going back and watching certain episodes because I know I did after uh, we saw this one on the weekend and just watching some more Clone Wars episodes that dealt with Ahsoka. So even I think for old fans of the Clone Wars just kind of wanted to go back and see those key stories and knowing where Ahsoka ends up in the time period of the Mandalorian. So it was just great on that aspect. New fans checking it out and old fans wanting to relive that, those great stories again. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's you bring up a great way or the great thing about what Disney plus is and what star Wars is as well, is that the fact that the animation and, and the books and the comics, everything is, you know, for the most part, Canon in a sense to where, again, I wouldn't say it's loose Canon, but it's, it's pretty much all in line for the most part. And what's so great about that is the fact that it shows you or it shows Disney man, like, when we put out something like for Star Wars that has a connected tissue to the Rebels and the Clone Wars, it only makes our streaming service that much stronger because they're like, oh, who's this character? Oh, they're on the Clone Wars and Rebels? 
I'll go watch those series now. And it just enhances the fact that you're, you know, this, this connective tissue and it gives them, you know, a, a people more reason to keep subscribing to Disney Plus amongst the other things of Disney Plus they may like. But if you're a big Star Wars fan or if you're just getting into Star Wars, you're adding more incentive or more things for them to binge and get into and keep their, you know, subscription going. Yeah. And I think that to me is what the, the advantage of what Bob Iger has done by buying IPs instead of trying to create them himself for themselves or whatever uh, it really shows you the advantage of having something like Star Wars. And again, you may have something like Rebels that didn't like set the world on fire per, per se, but again, the hardcore fan base for the most part liked it and they all watched it. And now that they have this kind of what 40, 50 episodes, whatever, how much it was they have. I, I have no idea how many episodes of, of, you know, more than 50 episodes, obviously, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like they have all these episodes that people can go, Oh, who's Grand Animal Thrawn? Uh -huh. Which we'll get into in a second, you know, and all that stuff. Like instead of having to go on the books or like the comics, which again is great, it's it's more even more detail. At least on Disney Plus, they can go straight into it and learn about what they instead of go, having to go on like a YouTube channel, like a hey, Star Wars, explain, explain to me everything. Like that's no fun. Like the fun is going to watch it yourself. You know, if you want to read a Wikipedia page, you can do that. But most people don't even want to do that. They want to be entertained. They want to waste time for a half hour, not for five minutes and be told the whole story, you know? So yeah. Yeah. For, and, for me, and, and, and to be fair, I mean, I like Star Wars explained in those kind of, you know, YouTube channels. It's fun to have that like extra content. Like, like sometimes I watch that kind of stuff just to hear people talk about Star Wars. But if that's like, if you're experiencing it for the first time, like sometimes I'll like see my wife watching some of those videos where she hasn't seen like a particular episode of Clone Wars or Rebels yet, but she's watching a YouTube video about it. And I'm like, geez, shut that off and sit down and let's just watch the episode. Like, you yeah, know, exactly. so well, um, it, it, there's, there's a difference between, hold on, really quick. There's a difference between just, you know, whatever, like someone's like talking about Star Wars, then in someone explaining the entire, like, let me explain you the whole Clone Wars, uh, you know, Umbara arc or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's that kind of stuff I, I'm not into. Like, I just don't, I don't like that for whatever reason. It's just, it's just my own pet peeve. Yeah. And I mean, again, I think it's fine that that's out there for, I don't know, people that want to get the gist of that stuff or people that just like hearing people talk about Star Wars and kind of recap these stories and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I definitely think watching the actual story for yourself first is the way to go in terms of just experiencing the story for the first time. And it is nice that, um, that it's all on Disney Plus. It's all so accessible and in one place. I mean, if you go on Disney Plus and like hit that Star Wars tab at the top, the first thing, that, like the first row of items to select, it's not movies, it's series. And they've got the Mandalorian and Clone Wars right there next to it. So, um, you know, they're making it real easy for people to just hop from one to the other and, and get the full con context of all these stories. And again, I just love that they're, that the Mandalorian is going to be sort of a jumping on point for so many more people to experience and fall in love with these stories that we've been, you know, loving and banging the drum for, for a long time. So, um, really exciting to, to just be, I don't know, taking our first steps into a larger world as it were. Um, but again, still, we haven't even gotten to Mando and the child yet in this episode. Um, so then, you know, we see, them show up on the razor crest they get to corvus he's talking to the magistrate um who ahsoka's after and you know wants some information from and whatever uh she offers mando a beskar spear to go kill ahsoka and that was 
again, I just love the scene where like they're on that bridge. Um, and again, you know, Filoni with the very like East Asian inspired influences where she's like feeding the koi in the pond and all that stuff. And then um, hands him the spear and the way he like hits it against his armor and you just hear that chime sound, uh, which we then hear again later when she uses the spear when she's fighting Ahsoka. Um, but then sends her out to, uh, or she sends him out to find Ahsoka. Like he, you know, obviously doesn't agree to kill her, but he's like, all right, where can I find the Jedi? Um, he's wandering out through the forest. We see Morai, the, uh, the convoy. Dewey though? Dewey? I think so. Again, live action interpretation. First of all, you clearly hear the sound. Um, like there's a shot as he's walking into the forest where you don't see anything, but you hear that exact sound that you hear in rebels that we hear in that final uh scene of clone wars when vader's looking up at it i think it's the you same see, that's thing. something i didn't pick up on now i'm gonna have to go watch it with headphones or something yeah <laughs> yeah go watch it with headphones terrifying. and listen as mando's walking into the forest it's a couple shots before you hear or before you see that owl creature on the tree but i think that was very intentional um yeah it was like why would you not make it look like kind of how we're used to seeing more eye look at least in the coloring well it's hey it is hazy it is hazy. yeah yeah i i think again i i mean it looks darker than we're used to but you don't get a good look at it anyway because the whole forest yeah. is kind of dark and murky and i think i think if we were to get a good clear look at it it would have that green and white color scheme but probably not as like vibrant as it is in animation because having a real owl be that brightly colored would probably look a little weird. Um, at least with the green. I mean, I know there's white owls, but um, yeah, again, it was just kind of hard to tell the colors in that shot. But I think, again, just translating it from animation to live action to have it be a little bit more muted and not so brightly colored probably makes sense. But I totally took that as as that's what they were going for there. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to think so when that's the only owl we see in the entire shot of that section and knowing how in close contact it always is with Ahsoka, obviously it leads you to believe that, but I just felt it just doesn't look quite like, like Morai to where it could just be an owl of the forest. But at the same time, if that's the only one we see in that whole area, then yeah, it leads you to believe that it would be. So I'm just not 100% sure. Yeah, well... Listen to it with headphones on and then see what you think after you hear the the sound it makes. Yeah, I'll definitely. But, um, but yeah, that was a, a cool little Easter egg. I mean, that like Morai has always been one of those things that is always just sort of like a vague like symbolism anyways. It's never like a concrete plot point. But, you know, there was just kind of a cool little Easter egg for those of us that have seen Clone Wars and Rebels and know that this thing is always around when, when Ahsoka is there. Um yeah. But then just the confrontation that she has in the forest when when he puts the child down and she like jumps from the trees and attacks him. And we find out that so Beskar good. is lightsaber resistant. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> just, I, you know. It was that like, was nuts. That yep. was crazy. And then so she's swinging her lightsabers at him. He's just blocking him with his forearms. And then we get this really cool shot where she's clashed against him. He shoots the flamethrower at her and she does like this twirling flip out of the way, like flourishing the sabers, flipping off her cloak at the same time as the flames are going. Just beautiful action shot. Um, and then, you know, they kind of have a standoff and he says, Ahsoka Tano, like Bo-Katan sent me. Um, and, uh, you know, she says he says, we need to talk. And she goes, oh, I hope it's about him and sees the child there. But... Um, 
Yeah, before we get into all the the child reveal stuff, just did you guys want to add anything else about like that action scene in their first encounter? Man, it was short, but I think one of the coolest action scenes we've seen in The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. just for that shock of seeing, like you said, the Beskar armor blocking the lightsaber. It was just really cool visually seeing him block those lightsabers just with this armor on his hands. It was just so cool. And then you mentioned the stuff with the flamethrower, but also when he tied her up with the rope. I just love that little smirk that Ahsoka gives when that happens, and then she just immediately does a flip over that tree to have him hang over that. It was just a great little skirmish between those two characters that just set the tone of how cool and just how amazing seeing Ahsoka in live action is. I mean, we already saw that in the first few minutes of the episode, but just continuing on that as we see her fight one-on-one with Din Djarin here, it was just so, so cool. Very short, but very, very sweet. I, I think that it what it what it does more than anything is show us that when we eventually get uh, Mandalorians versus Jedi like old school old Republic war stuff, it's going to be mm. insane. Mm. Yeah, because because we we all wonder you know how these Mandalorians you know s- stood up against the Jedi and their ancient enemies and and now you're talking that you're setting up essentially when they eventually do those films or TV series or whatever is going to happen in the future that it's going to be epic with that whole Beskar, the fact that they can, you know, the lightsabers aren't going to to slice and dice. And also, you know, we need to get more emphasis of Beskar. I think that obviously it's rare, et cetera, et cetera. But like, we need more explanation of why isn't that more readily available? You know, those kinds of things, which again, it goes without saying, obviously too, but I want to know more reason, like, why don't these things, you know, why, why don't we know about this more? You know, is it strictly a Mandalorian alloy? Those kinds of things. I, I would like to know more information about Beskar just in a galaxy perspective mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, that'd be yeah, cool. Yeah, I think it is specifically a Mandalorian thing. And I, I think they go into it in Rebels too, right? Because that was like the weapon that Sabine helped design was like one that specifically targeted Beskar. Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, I, that backs like sort of context was immediately apparent seeing the lightsabers clash against the Beskar and you go, oh, this is why like the Mandalorians were able to hold their own against Jedi, like back in the old Republic and stuff. Um, and of course we've already seen from like pre Vizsla's duel with Darth Maul, like, and even in, um, in rebels with trials of the dark saber, when, uh, gosh, what's the guy's name? Um, the, the protector of conquered Dawn guy that, that teams up with Sabine and he gives her like the gauntlets and stuff to fight uh, Kanan what? and Ezra. Not Fen, Fen Rao. Um, Fen Rao, that's right. Yeah, and he gives her that stuff and says that, like, you know, ancient Mandalorians, like, built their arsenal around defeating Jedi. So, like, here's some extra tricks to help you out. Um, and so, again, just to say, like, you can already see how a Jedi, uh, how a, an armored warrior with, like, blasters and darts and blades and a jetpack and all that kind of stuff would be a formidable ally for a Jedi to take down. But now you see also with their armor being this resistant to a lightsaber blade it's like they could go toe to toe and just you know essentially hand-to-hand combat um and so it was just just really cool to see and also it it kind of added some more context to the show too of like oh this is why everybody's been after uh din and his armor like this stuff doesn't just like shrug off glancing blows from stormtroopers like it can stop a lightsaber like dang no wonder everybody's trying to get their hands on it so um yeah, just again, really cool scene with just some really cool visuals that also 
added some really cool context to that backstory and the history between Jedi and Mandalorians as well. Um, and then, of course, we get one of the uh, just most beautifully shot and coolest like story moments in the whole series so far where you see Ahsoka and the child just sitting in the forest together um, like that night as it's dark and the moon is up and Din is just watching him and they're just sitting in silence for a long time. And then finally uh, Ahsoka like picks the child up. She walks over to Mando and he says, you know, can you communicate with him? And she's like, yeah, in a way, like we can sense, sense each other's thoughts. And she reveals that his name is Grogu, uh, that he was raised on the Jedi te- in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, that someone took him from the temple uh, after, you know, the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire. And then his memory goes kind of dark after that. Um, and of course, we get just a really cool moment of her kind of mimicking like Obi-Wan's scene with Luke in A New Hope where she's explaining what the Force is and it's this mystical energy field and that's where he gets his powers from and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was just, I don't know, I, I as a fan of Ahsoka and the Jedi and Jedi history and lore and mythology and stuff that's obviously just a really cool, really special moment. Um, we see, we, we got to see Ahsoka in action with the lightsabers and now we get this sort of quiet story moment where she sort of unloads all this information on us. Um, Again, kind of just like the opening scene where she just pops right in with the lightsabers, you know, like, oh, I wasn't prepared for that. She wasn't, there was no buildup to, oh, we're going to reveal the child's name. She's just like, oh yeah, Grogu and I can sense each other's thoughts. And he's like, what, Grogu? Um, And of course, (laughs) then he makes this adorable little noise and face as he responds to uh, Din saying his name for the first time. So um Gosh, and and this is one of those scenes that I think, again, on multiple rewatches is just like instantly one of my favorite Star Wars moments ever. Like I just have a huge smile on my face the whole time. Um, and it was just it's a really cool moment. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. This is my favorite moment of the entire episode. As great as the action is in this, this is what it's all about right here. And it's one of those moments where when we when I first heard that Ahsoka was going to be in the Mandalorian, this was pretty much exactly what I was hoping would happen. And it delivered on it. Just the idea of kind of a quiet, peaceful moment out in the forest, speaking with Din Jaren and the child about the force at night with this light, like in a campfire. I know it was an actual fire as a little lamp, but just that setting was something that I just pictured in my head of happening ever since we found out Ahsoka was going to be in this. And the fact that it happened and as I'm watching it on screen for the first time, I'm just thinking, man, this is a really magical moment that we're experiencing here as Star Wars fans seeing this. Not only just seeing an iconic character like Ahsoka talking to a new character or two new characters that are already raising the ranks of some of the best Star Wars characters with Din Djarin and the child talking together, talking about the Force, plus learning the history of the child, learning his name Grogu and where he came from. And I'm sure we'll get into this a little more in a few minutes here about getting that backstory of him being a Jedi in training on Coruscant. But just everything about this moment was just felt so special, even as as I was watching it for the first time. The dialogue, the way the performances, the way the scene was shot, the lighting, everything about it. It just felt like, wow, they took a moment that I just had in my head, plucked it out and put it on the screen here. It was just amazing to see. So I absolutely 
love this right from that moment after the skirmish, like you said, where it's just Ahsoka and Grogu looking at each other. And then it culminates into this fantastic conversation between Din and Ahsoka. It was amazing. I just love watching it every time. Definitely the highlight of an episode that had a lot of highlights, but this one just stands above the rest um, just for everything that it entailed and how it felt like something I, I can only imagine in my head and just seeing it on screen. It was just so, so well done. I loved it. Yeah, this was this whole episode. Almost, you know, we could talk. I think every almost every scene has power. Every scene has something going on that's I think more than what it seems. At least you could read into a lot of different things, uh, obviously. But this is obviously a, a big moment for the whole series. Maybe for Star Wars, the fact that we get you know information on uh, Gro, uh, Grogu, we get his name finally, which was again. I, I think it's pretty rad that. Most people have, have accepted his name. Uh, the fact that Baby Yoda is a phenomenon that Star Wars has not seen maybe in a long, long time, if not ever. And it's just one of those things where it's, yeah, the fact that Grogu, this, this name is stuck for the most part. Or there hasn't been this huge out, outcry of there were people refuse to call him that. And I don't know. I, I think it fits him. And the reveal of the fact that he was trained in the Jedi Temple was a big, big thing. And you, you immediately start going like, well, we're obviously he was trained by many masters. There's just a loaded stuff yeah, that so much to chew on. Think yeah, about it. There's so much to chew on that she, you know, she throws at him. I also think it's very fascinating. And I don't think it's a coincidental or not coincidental, but it's not it, it's not a wasted line by Ahsoka when she says, well, I hope it's about him. You know what I mean? Like just the fact that she recognized that him right away as species of Yoda and like, what mm -hmm. the, like, that's a big deal. So there's, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's hints a lot of times in dialogue and, and just, especially in this episode, there's a, I think there's more to going on to what, especially with Ahsoka than what is this, uh, that's just uh, surface level of what she says, how she says it, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's more than that to me. So yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting. Yeah, and it, well, just real quick, I wanted to say for one thing, I liked. Um, I mean, like you were saying, I I love the name right off the bat. Like, and I always thought, like, once we hear the child's name, it's going to be weird not calling him the child or Baby Yoda. But like, as soon as she said it, I was like Grogu. I I like it. That fits. And I've seen some people online like jokingly or maybe not jokingly being like, eh, yeah, I don't know if that's going to stick. He's always going to be the child or baby Yoda to me or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I figured right off the bat that um, that seemed fitting and appropriate and I liked it. I like how the next episode also starts with Din just like saying it to him a couple times to kind of get used to it. And I think hopefully that kind of helps more people get used to it as well in the audience. But um, also it was really cool just – even in that conversation, hearing her mention Yoda by name. And she says, yes. I've only known one other being like this, a wise Jedi master named Yoda. And we get a brief few bars of Yoda's theme in, uh, in the music of that scene, which was also fantastic, which by the way, Ludwig Göransson killed it once again in this episode. Um, hearing Ahsoka's theme in live action was fantastic. And just yeah. One more element that added to just an incredible live action debut for the character, not only seeing her, but hearing that familiar theme. And I just hate that we missed 
this stuff being on the first half of season one soundtrack by like one week. Um, Because as soon as this was over, I was like, man, I missed the days of season one where I could immediately go and listen to the soundtrack for this episode. And now we're going to have to wait like three more weeks. But um, yeah, just love the music in here as well. Loved hearing Yoda's theme, loved hearing Ahsoka's theme. All that stuff was great. Yeah. Oh, surprised I didn't mention the name drop of Yoda earlier when I was talking about how much I love this moment because that was really cool too. It was Ahsoka had to say that just as fans knowing how rare Yoda species is in the Star Wars universe. So of course that was she would have to mention that she only knew one other being who was like him. So unfortunately, I guess she never had a chance to meet Yaddle. So. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to no. say that. Like everybody was like, man, where's Yaddle? You know, excuse me, there were two of them. But yeah, maybe Ahsoka just never met Yaddle. But yeah, I, also I wanted, think that there's good. Tim. No, I was wanted to ask you guys how you felt about the origin story of Grogu being revealed here into the fact that he is or was a Jedi Padawan in training and was born on Coruscant. And because for me, when I first heard it, I didn't hate it. I go, oh, they're going like that's his backstory. But it just felt something that I don't know if you want to call it safe or basic or something that mm. you could have easily assumed. Because I initially, and I said this once we first got the reveal of Baby Yoda in the very first episode of the series, how it could be cool if, you know, he was a child just from the origin planet of Yoda species. And it's we're gonna, it's gonna he's going to be our link to finding out the history of Yoda species. That still might be the case with this. But yeah. I just think it would have been something a little more interesting or to have it be different where he is someone who's separate from the Jedi Order but his species was just naturally force sensitive and he was going to try to figure that out as he was growing older too and not knowing how to do it. But the fact that he was trained a little bit adds a new wrinkle into his story and where he's going to go, which I do find interesting. But a part of me felt that I was hoping for something a little more unique to his story or more tied into the origins of Yoda yeah. or not the origins of Yoda species, but just his species in general and the home world and where they came from. And well, we still I might think, get that. Yeah, I think we will. So I think there's gonna be some light on the species, um, especially the fact that he acknowledged that it's, it's acknowledged that he is from the temple and that he was brought there. Um, you know, we don't, we don't know that Yoda isn't involved in his life or wasn't involved in his life and him being there in the first place. That's the whole thing. So, there's there's lots that we can you can go from this. Um, I think it, le- it it sheds enough light that we know he's not a clone. Kind of uh, yeah. it sheds enough light on his origin that we can kind of solidify a few things. But because she says that it goes he goes dark after that, there's there's a real it, it can go so many different directions because of what happens after the you know the raid on the temple with Anakin and, and the Philo first. And I think that to me is what's really fascinating because she says things like he's felt alone after things went dark. And I don't I don't know if dark meant like life got bad or he literally went dark like he doesn't remember anything. Like it's not very clear what exactly she's talking about. And then this is where I'm just kind of and me and Tim talked a lot about this last night when we binged the uh, whole season two or what's come out so far. And I just there's so much from Ahsoka here that I just she's just not being forthcoming with anything. And she's kind of not really, there's just so much to go on with her. I think there's more going on. And that's why I just, it's hard for me to think that like she's, I think she knows more and she's not telling, she's not telling him. And for what reason, I don't know. 
See, I didn't quite read it that way because, again, when she says after that his memory is dark, I think she means like she can't – like whether it's because Grogu forgot or, or maybe is keeping that hidden himself somehow. Like I think she can't sense what happened to him after after he right. left the temple. Right. No, I, I get that. Yeah, um, that, that part is, is a little more clear. I guess what I'm saying, like it's just kind of weird. But, but one thing I will say, and I, I got this from a different podcast, and I, I'll give him credit on that, is the fact that there's, you know, um, th- th- it could be almost like a PTSD kind of a thing. And, for, and he, for, oh, Grogu? For, for, for Yeah, for Grogu. Oh, yeah, no, like, absolutely. He, yeah, like, Which is, again, like, why he, I'm saying I don't think Ahsoka's trying to withhold anything with that. I think no, she's no, telling that, Din well, as, as, yeah. much as, she, as much as she knows just from their brief interaction. I, I what not that specifically. I think she knows more of his origin of what's going on than what she's telling the Mando. I think there's there's something more going on, and I, I just and I, I yeah I'll get into that later. Well, when we get, I think the episode. I think there's definitely going to be more going on with Grogu, and, and still more to learn with his backstory. But I don't necessarily think Ahsoka's hiding any of it. Um, okay, we'll, we'll discuss later. Yeah, 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 we'll we'll get to that later. Um, but as far as your question, Tim, like I think for me, it's weird because I, I don't think I ever even considered or even like thought of the idea of him being raised on Coruscant in the temple. And so for me, it just yeah. – it, well, it was one of those things that once I heard it though, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like because he's such a small child, like I tend to forget he's 50 years old. And so <laughs> just seeing a little baby, you don't think about him being around during the time of the prequel trilogy. But then it's like when you take his age into consideration, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like this is 28 years after Revenge of the Sith. That's a good 20 years that somebody could have discovered him, brought him to the Jedi Temple. It was also kind of weird to refer or like hear her refer to him having been trained by several masters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which which I never took to mean like that he was a Padawan to a master or I've even seen people like doing like fan photoshops of like him being in the little like youngling class that Yoda is training with the lightsabers in episode two (laughs) or even being in the room with the younglings that Anakin is, you know, killing in episode three. And I've seen a bunch of funny jokes about that being, you know, Grogu runs to the kitchen to get a snack real quick and then comes back and everybody's dead. Um, But uh, like, it was weird to think of him being trained again, because he's such a small you know, would have been even younger at that point, basically just a baby. So I don't think he was like in lightsaber training classes or or was a Padawan to a master, but maybe, you know, I'm sure with, especially if there's other species like Yoda species that age, you know, much more slowly and have longer lifespans and whatever. I'm sure there are probably certain Jedi that are, are trained to, uh, train very young children like that, just in, basic force techniques and helping them to sort of control that power, even though they're just an infant. Um, I don't know, you know, just like you would teach a baby to like play with blocks. So they learn that a square block doesn't fit in the circle hole and you know, all that kind of stuff, just very basic, simple stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think that was just a cool reveal. I didn't think it felt, I didn't even think, you know, like you were saying that, Oh, that feels too safe or whatever. I thought it was kind of cool just because it was something that I hadn't considered before. Um, and it's very interesting to see, like, you know, we'll see how this plays out. If Grogu does end up being trained by a Jedi, um, how that's going to work. Because again, like on the one hand, he's got 50 years of experience using the force. On the other hand, he's still like the emotional and mental age of a two-year-old. So, um, yeah, I don't know exactly how you go about that, but I thought it was cool to just get more light shed on that. 
And it just brings up the question too: Who actually hit him away and took mm-hmm. him from the Jedi Temple? Now, do you Was guys it? have any theories on that? None that are really I would cling to. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of different possibilities of what Jedi it could be. Who would make sense? It could. I'm right now. I'm just expecting to be a new character that we don't know about that'll get revealed eventually down the line. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking it maybe very well could have been Yoda, maybe not necessarily sent him out. Well, no, because she said it was, he did go into hiding because of the Jedi purge in order 66. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking, so maybe it's not Yoda. Cause when he obviously didn't sense it coming until it happened, as we saw in revenge of the Sith, but I'm just thinking it could be a Jedi who had a vision, not necessarily clear, but saw the future of the Jedi come to an end and maybe had to do something to save at least one youngling that he could. Maybe Grogu was the only one he was able to save, or maybe he knew the significance of how rare their species are and felt he had to preserve him more so than any other youngling. That's all he he or she could have saved. So I don't know. That's definitely one of the aspects of Grogu's backstory that definitely was a surprise to get knowing that he was raised in Coruscant. This brings about how did he survive and who was the one to put him into hiding and to do it in a way that these smugglers or pirates got a hold of him (laughs) in season one. I mean, just his trail of the trajectory of where his story went post Revenge of the Sith is just interesting in itself. How long was he with a Jedi who protected him? Did the Jedi just send him off and someone else took care of him for a bit and others just kept getting their hands on him? It's just crazy to think about what kind of journey he had um, from Revenge of the Sith up until the events of the Mandalorian. And obviously, as Ahsoka said, it's a part of his memory that is dark right now. And we'll see. And I'll get to that a little bit later in the next episode, potentially of maybe when he will remember those times and get those thoughts back but definitely some intriguing stuff to think about as far as what exactly went down in uh, the jedi temple purge and again it makes me go back to the first premiere something we were talking about yesterday paul with Cobb vance was telling his backstory we got that Mm. flashback it's just another instance where i want another flashback (laughs) somewhere down the line of the moment of grogu getting rescued and saved from the jedi somewhere but or is he saved at all or was he put into a laboratory immediately i mean that's a good question too yeah that's kind of yeah yeah you know i almost i mean that's that's a good point maybe it it was by palpatine's design (laughs) to that that's what i'm what if what if grogu it really is a clone still but those are implanted memories well, well I, I didn't think about that, but <laughs> that's another layer to consider, really. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's likely, but yeah. I'm just saying it's possible. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he's a clone. I, I don't think so either, but I'm I, just saying. I do have – I've got my own theory on this, though, that you kind of touched on when you said maybe this was by Palpatine's design. Because, again, if they – like, again, we don't know what the Empire is up to. But there's at least a possibility based on that last episode and where we know things are headed in the sequel trilogy that maybe their experiments with Grogu are somehow going to tie into the Rise of Skywalker and Palpatine's return and all those cloning experiments and and stuff that we see them doing on Exegol. And so I'm like, what if Palpatine, you know, somehow already had his eye on this, you know, force sensitive child 
for its midi-chlorian count or whatever and and had it singled out somehow that he wanted to use this for his experiments. Um, now, I don't think he would like send Anakin marching into the temple with a bunch of clones and then go sneak in himself and try to, you know, kidnap the kid. So I don't think it was Palpatine who took him. But I think – so here's my front runner. If – if it was – if we if in fact find out that it was a character that we already are familiar with, I think it could be the Grand Inquisitor because mm. he was a Jedi Temple guard. And so I think with him, you'd have like two possibilities already. A, he could be – like he could have been still a Jedi at that point and maybe rescued some younglings as the temple was under attack and then later converted to an Inquisitor and told the Empire where those kids were hiding. Or maybe he already was kind of under Palpatine's sway at that point. And so Palpatine contacted him, was like, hey, Jedi Temple's about to get wiped out. Like, get out of there and bring me this kid. Um, so a couple different ways that that could go down. But I, I think just, that would be a really cool reveal to find out that he was somehow involved in that. I just thought of another character who it could be. Just surprised we're talking about that. I'm thinking now maybe it could be Ochi of Bestoon, who hmm. obviously Palpatine used to try to find another child. Yeah, that's, <laughs> down the that's line. true. And if you're reading the Darth, new Darth Vader comics, he knows he was working with Palpatine before the events of Rise of Skywalker. So it could be someone he could have infiltrate the temple without during the chaos of the purge, but maybe without even Anakin knowing. Because it does make you think, because obviously he wants Anakin. He's the chosen one. He wants him as a, his apprentice. But at the same time, if there's supposed to be another powerful Jedi he could use, it would be a child of the same species as Yoda, who we know, as Obi-Wan says, had the highest midi-chlorian count until Anakin came into the picture. So you'd probably figure another one of his species right. who's a child could benefit me in this aspect of what I want to achieve in my plans. I just thought, of, okay, I just thought of something kind of crazy. And this is, I don't think this is likely, but it would it would it could it would serve like so many different purposes what if and i'm not saying this person's alive still what if it was mace windu who found him like a haggard mace windu and actually mace Windu and they de-aged uh samuel jackson for like a short little scene where it's his last breath is actually defending grogu and trying to save him instead of being blasted by palpatine hmm that would be interesting because I mean, you could, it would be a stretch, but you probably can do something to work it out where he initially survived a little bit after getting yeah. tossed out there. But right. no, no, but because you, here's the thing. Yeah. He, wa he wants, he, he, Sam wanted a better death. He wanted him to come back. You can kind of do that. Could be, and you could have him like still be alive, barely, barely functioning. He takes his purple lightsaber or takes a lightsaber or whatever you want to do. I know he doesn't have his lightsaber at that point, but. He, you could have him have his, his noble death defending Grogu and mm -hmm. giving him a little bit more of like a sacrificial death instead of just Palpatine being like, power, which I love. But I mean, I'm just saying like you could at least protect and, and Sam would get maybe a better send off at that point. And then in the fact that he could, you know, Grogu could then go by himself. And they could be hunting him. And it was the reason they didn't get him right off the purge is because. Mace Windu came back and and knew that he'd be important. So anyway, that's you just see, the crazy theory. I Possibly. like that because to be honest, I I don't know where it came from, but I've been seeing and we even got a response for someone mentioning Mace Windu about the one who could save him. I just wondering where that idea came from, but it never sat well with me because it, to me it'd be far fetched to have Mace Windu survive. But if it's the reason 
that you're saying, Paul. I actually really like that word. It's just a little bit after that moment and just in his last breath does a noble sacrifice to protect what maybe he thinks is the last of the Jedi right there. That would be kind of cool. Right. Yeah. Because he's so powerful. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know when we may get answers to that, but um, I think we'll get, I think we'll get into this, this season. I, I think if not this episode coming up, but the, the last episode, because I, I do feel like there's there's a, there's a there's a climax coming with this character and what the Empire wants with them. I don't. Well, think- yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And that's what I was going to say is I, I do think and we can talk about this more with the next episode, but I do think by the end of the season, we're going to find out a lot more about the Empire's plans for Grogu. But I don't know if we're going to get the full backstory of where he was in between episode three and, you know, Order 66 and up till now where he's just in a hideout with a bunch of pirates. So, um and honestly, I kind of like – like I hope they don't tell us everything all at once. I like getting the little slow drips of information that keep you engaged and keep you wanting to find out more. I like that last episode we just saw the clones in the tank that kind of look like Snoke, but they didn't give you enough information to know for sure if that was Snoke or something else. And now in this episode, we get a lot of Grogu's backstory. We find out his name, but there's still – holes in the story and and still more to discover and obviously still more to discover about what the empire wants with them and stuff. So I hope they don't answer all of our questions all at once and the way they've been doing it so far, I don't think they will. Um, but definitely looking forward to learning more bit by bit. Um, but anyway, and, and, you know, again, we can, we'll kind of get into more of this later as far as speculation and where we think this is all going, but continuing on with the story here, um, you know, then oh, so then uh, the next day, then you get that scene where Ahsoka's training him, uh, and she, you know, just levitates the rock towards him, and then tells him to to send it back, and you know, he just kind of throws it aside, and Din's like, oh, look, see, he's stubborn, he won't listen to you, and Ahsoka's like, okay, here, you come try it, and he won't do it with Din either, he won't use the rock, but then Din pulls out that control knob from the ship that. Uh, you know, Grogu was playing with at the beginning of the episode, and obviously it's the same one he was playing with back in season one, and it's what Din looked at and made him want to go back and rescue him from the Empire in the first place and all that. So that's starting to have a real significance to it. And he's got that tucked away in his belt because Grogu brought it with him off the ship when they first got to the planet. And so he pulls that out, and he's like, Grogu, you want this? And he uses the Force and pulls it to him. And uh, so now he's proven that he still has these abilities and he can use the force. But then Ahsoka says, uh, you know, I can sense that he has a strong attachment to you. And because of that, I don't want to train him because that makes him vulnerable to his, his fears and his anger. And, you know, I can sense a lot of fear in him because of what he's been through. Um, and I don't want any part of that. And I don't know, like it was like, I love the way this all plays out because when I first heard her say that I was kind of annoyed and almost thought it like at, at first almost thought it was lazy writing because I'm like, she's just parroting the same thing that we heard Mace Windu and Anakin or like Mace Windu and Yoda and all them say about Anakin. And it's very much like the, the Jedi sort of at their height, like the height of their hubris and everything that led to their downfall. Like we've heard a bunch of other Jedi say this before. Ahsoka was the one to walk away from the Jedi and from those ideals. So she should be more sort of open-minded in this situation and not just repeating those same things that we've heard from those guys. But then when she says, you know, I've seen what those feelings can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight and what it can do to the best of us. 
and you think of what she's been through, what she's been through the last time we saw her in Rebels in Twilight of the Apprentice. Um, I mean, I know technically the last time we saw her was in like the world between worlds and then the rebels finale, but even in the world between worlds, she's still going through the same thing. And you see that confrontation with Vader and the Re- like her finally realizing it and realizing and accepting that it's Anakin. And she probably heard for years Mace Windu and Yoda and Obi-Wan saying all those things about Anakin and his fear and attachment and blah, blah, blah. And her thinking, no, I know Anakin. He's good. Like he would never succumb to that stuff. And then he does. And she goes, holy crap, they were right. Or at least there's something to this. And so even though like it's one of those things that it's like from a certain point of view, because on the other hand, you could say like this is just Ahsoka giving into fear and that she should go ahead and train the child to like make sure nothing bad happens to him. Um, and that because she saw the downfall of the Jedi and the downfall of Anakin, that maybe she could know how to avoid certain things. But at the same time, it totally made sense that her mindset would be, you know, I walked away from the Jedi. I thought their way was wrong. Like I heard Mace and Yoda saying these things about emotion and attachment and whatever. And didn't think much of it and then i saw what happened to anakin and realized they were right all along so again maybe like this isn't the only way they could have gone with it and it's maybe like not the only right answer but for her to be in this frame of mind after what she went through in rebels i thought totally made sense yeah i agree and it was just kind of cool to hear without mentioning his name that reference to anakin in that moment, yeah. obviously it was such a traumatic experience for Ahsoka to see that in Twilight of the Apprentice, that it was Anakin who became Darth Vader. And you would totally believe how she would not want that to happen to anyone else um, who was on the Jedi path. And I thought it was interesting, too, how she said since it's been a few quite a few years since he's really had training with the force or used the force, it'll just kind of that ability and connection he'd have to use it the powers of the force would fade away. And that's what she thought would be best at this moment for him with the strong attachment he has for Din. And that was part of the reason why I'm sure we'll get to this about the last moment of the episode too, but why I just really think in this moment here, when Ahsoka says she wasn't going to train him, that's going to (laughs) stick. I mean, obviously they made Mm. the deal later on a few Mm. moments here and Mm. I know we're going to differ on this a lot, Paul, but I think we'll probably save this for the the very last of the episode. But this was the start of that for me in hearing, you know, that I don't think Grogu and Ahsoka are going to be spending that much time together in the future. We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll return to this conversation at the end, especially with the next episode, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, then so of course she says she's not going to train him and uh, Din, you know, in, in a last sort of ditch effort to get her help, he says, you know, the magistrate sent me to kill you and I didn't agree to it, but like I'll help you deal with her if you'll agree to see to it that Grogu is properly trained. Um, and so then they're they're heading back towards the city and, you know, just talking about the, the forces that she has and everything. But this is where it's um, – well, actually, no, Ahsoka just reveals like the magistrate's name. Um, you know, Morgan Elsbeth says her people were wiped out during the Clone Wars and she went on to become like this industrialist who helped fuel the Empire and everything. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I guess like on Instagram, 
it was like one of the like hair and makeup artists for the show who worked on that character, I guess, let slip that she's supposed to be from Dathomir. Um, oh, really? Or at least oh, uh, oh. now, I don't know if we should take that as canon because obviously it wasn't revealed in the actual episode. And so the fact that they decided not to include that as part of the story, I don't know if we should re- read that as like subtext or if it's just not canon because they decided to drop it or, or whatever. But um, well, I, I, for what I understand, I, I was watching, I was listening or watching something, and they and they said that there's potential that that's where they're headed. Possibly. Um, I mean, I don't know that this that, is a character that we'll ever see again, at least in the Mandalorian. But no, no, no. no. Uh, well, well, what's also interesting is she doesn't. We don't see what happens to her. We right, assume right. that Ahsoka, like you know, chopped her in half and. Whatever, oh, I don't. I don't think she. I don't think she did that. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> think no, no. So. I, I'm not saying she. I'm not saying we did or she did. What I'm saying I don't is, think we she's don't locked know. up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. No, true. As, right. My point is this, though, is that we don't know. She could get out, and I, I'd be okay with that. She was awesome, and me, um, same name, name as my wife. It's hilarious. Um. So, but uh, but yeah, like I, I kind of feel that there's. I would not be shocked if she was from Dathomir, and there was like, but there was some kind of. I don't know. Like maybe there's some, you know, there's a rebirth of the Night Sisters or something like that. She could be a new coming of the Night Sisters. I I don't know. It's uh but that being said, I, I do think that there's I've heard that rumor a number of times and there's a couple like not just like she's from Dathomir, but I've heard and again, I'm, I'm not I just kind of accidentally heard it and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I'm not sure if I believe that, but there, that's it's interesting as a second time. It could be the same thing that you're, they're referencing, but it didn't sound like it. It sounded like it was someone who who worked on the team. It, it was a makeup artist, but they met they they just referenced they're going to Dathomir, like that's where they're headed. Which I thought that's the case. Oh my lord! Yeah, I didn't see Ooh. anything about that, but it's interesting because yeah, like whatever. when I first heard it, I was like, eh. I'm kind of glad they didn't go that way. And especially because like that doesn't really have any bearing on the story. Um, I think it maybe would have been like one too many sort of familiar references in this episode. Um, I've already heard some people kind of complain like, oh, the Mandalorian's like season two, it's relying too much on on familiar characters and on Easter eggs and cameos and stuff, which I wouldn't necessarily it's, agree with. I think it's been doing a good job of balancing all of that. The Mandalorian is depending on good storytelling. Oh my God. <laughs> Get the Mandalorian out of here. How dare it be like write, writing good stories and including people from other stories. Oh, my God. Get this show out of here. <laughs> no, and look, I God, do. Th- listen to yourself. I do think Not there's you, I, I do think there's something to be said for that when like season one was largely no, just. No, there's nothing to be said about it. No, no, no. No, I think when, when season one was largely just an original story with original characters, I understand people wanting it to kind of rely on that strength. I mean, honestly, I felt the same way about Rebels when like season two, they brought in Vader and Ahsoka and Rex and Hondo and all this stuff. And I was like kind of afraid it was going to be too much. And it ended up being a great balance and you know i thought they did it really well and same thing here with mandalorian like i can understand some people having that concern but for me it definitely hasn't been too much but i think within this episode specifically if on top of ahsoka and thrawn and and grogu and all that other stuff if they had thrown like dathomir and night sisters in on top of that and it didn't really have any impact on the plot i think that might have been a little too much so i'm glad they decided to hold off on that at least for now um but after rewatching the episode again, after reading that, 
I was like, hey, you know what? I can kind of see it. Um, like, especially with Ahsoka mentioning that her people were wiped out during the Clone Wars. And it's like, oh, yeah, we know obviously that happened on Dathomir. Um, and she's wearing like the red and black robes and and kind of has that uh, that Night Sister vibe going on. So I'd be OK with that if that does end up being true. I'm just saying I don't know if we should take it as canon for now since it didn't actually show up on screen. Um, I, I take exception with anyone who complains about the season of anything, like unless you would fully admit it's nitpicks, because I see like people will say like, well, it's just Mandalorian teaming up with people. It's like, listen, good storytelling is good storytelling. And for me, the, the fact they're utilizing everything in the toolbox, every toy in the toy box, whatever analogy you want to use, it's working and it's pushing things forward. And I, I think it's just been this season has just been phenomenal. And yeah, anyway, I just I just don't see the problem. If it's if it's all if it was really ha- mediocre and was just okay, then yeah, I could see where it'd be them relying on because they can't come up with their own stories. But the thing is, these episodes have been great and when they're using these people and they've just been pushing the narrative forward even more, that there's I yeah, you have no there's no complaining. So unlike Palpatine opinion. and Rise of Skywalker, basically. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I agree. Like, yeah, there's a right wow. way and a wrong way to do it, to to use all these refer- references and introduce all these. F- you, you don't want to start. Characters. You don't want to start. You don't want to start this, Kyle. I'll bring in Last Jedi and Luke's attempted murder. We don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was, there was no attempt. He, he turned on you're a light. turned on a lightsaber and thought about right. some stuff. He turned stuff. a lightsaber in the middle of the night when he's sleeping and was like, "Oh, no big deal." That's not attempted murder, anyway. He didn't, uh, he didn't attempt anything. He turned a lightsaber and he read his mind is to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll be having this debate till the end of time. But you know what? Much. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you bring up anything raises Skywalker in a negative light, I'm just going to bring up attempted murder every time. Okay. Well, you know wow. what? Sometimes right. you bring up Last Jedi in a negative light, and I have the Jedi peace and serenity to just let it go. Well, um, that's because you're a better person than I am. <laughs> Your words, not mine. Yeah, I, I fully admit it. <laughs> um, Anyway, where were we in this episode? Oh, so they're getting <laughs> so so they're getting back to the city. Ahsoka just comes, you know, it's it's nighttime, it's foggy. Ahsoka just comes sprinting out of the mist like some Ugh. kind of banshee, flies up the wall, ignites the lightsaber, is just taking out the guards on the top. I just love I mean, well, there's two particular action shots here that I think are just fantastic. The one is when she uses the force to like rip the gun out of the one guy's hand and knock the other guy unconscious in the head with it. And then she kind of looks at the one guy who's now disarmed and just kind of gives him this, you know, wry kind of like eyebrow cocked kind of look. And the guy just turns and runs because um, she's still Ahsoka. She's not going to just cut down an unarmed guy, which it was kind of funny seeing this episode after like the last time we saw Ahsoka in terms of just content that was released was like Siege of Mandalore, where she was adamantly refusing to kill the clones. So I don't know if you guys felt this way, but it was kind of jarring for me at first to just see her running through the forest, just cutting these guys down one after another. Um, Yeah, it did stick out to me when I was first watching it. But I know you could obviously you could say that, you know, they're bad guys. They're have this taking over the city of innocence and she's taking out their soldiers. But it, it did seem like she was more ruthless and 
I don't want to say brutal, but just more ruthless, I guess, in yeah. the way she took down with like kind of like a no nonsense, like she's just here to do her job and she's not gonna All right. let anything get or anyone get in her way. But I think but you you talked about something just now, Kyle, that I think brings up who she is, because I took it as she thought that was the end. Like because she even gives Morgan uh time. She was like, give you one day to make it. She gives them an opportunity. So she I feel that she was defending herself because they were trying to kill her. One, I mean, whatever. Well, I, I mean, I, they I, were clearly retreating from her, but, um, but I think she. But I think she was trying to get to the, like she was trying to free those people. One, yeah, yeah, and, true. and so, but, 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 so she gives them ultimately the chance. She, you know, the chance to to you know make right, and then well, I think it emphasizes even more the point you just brought up because I mentioned that to you yesterday, Kyle or uh, Tim. That like I mean, I love that because that's a Soka. She didn't like just kill that person like straight up. She could have, you know, straight up attempted murder him right there. It's like Luke Skywalker and Ben uh, Solo. But sorry, I had to. As a joke, that was a joke. I was a joke. No, but in all seriousness, she just, you know, that little nod to me. That's Ahsoka's. Like that is one hundred percent that character. And Rosario Dawson, this her performance. That, that was perfect. Like that's one hundred percent. A little nuance. Little smile. I mean, I just like man, she yeah. totally gets it. Like yeah. she totally gets it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing and I was also gonna, too, oh, real well, quick, that was that was just first impressions of, of her being much more brutal than than the last time we saw her. But then again, like I I thought about the fact that well, the reason she didn't want to kill the clones was because she had such a personal relationship with them, and after realizing what was going on with Rex with the chip, like she knew that they weren't doing it voluntarily. So I think that's a big part of why she didn't want to kill them. It's not just because she's nonviolent in general. Because then I also realized this is the same Ahsoka who also did her jumping spin move and decapitated four Mandalorians at the same oh, time. So, so I was good. like, I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, cute. I guess I guess this fits for her to kind of have some brutal action as long as they're like bad guys that she's doing it to. So, um, and also too, we just got to remember, and and this is up for debate now, the time period of this episode and when we last saw Ahsoka in Rebels. But if this is like not too long after the events of, you know, the world between worlds and her getting off Malachor, she's going to be a different person after all that. So if it's a little bit to where this is how she's fighting in battle against these soldiers who are clearly bad and she's just taking them out like nobody's business. I mean, it's, I could understand too where it, she'd be a little bit of a different person after the events we saw her go through in the, after Twilight of the Apprentice and World Between Worlds and just we don't even know how long she was on Malachor and when she got off that planet. And so it's just more stuff we don't know the full story to as far as what she's been through till we last saw her and that we're seeing here in this episode. Yeah. Um, oh, and then I was going to say the the other shot that I absolutely loved in that scene is when, you know, I think she ta she gives the nod, that guy turns and runs, and then there's the guy who was, like, ringing the gong that then comes up behind her and, like, swings the, the gong hammer thing at her, and she, like, ducks out of the way of that, spins, and slices right through that guy and the gong, and then it, like, falls <laughs> off the wall and, and clangs down. It was just such a freaking sweet, like, just takedown like that was one where she clearly she just cut this dude in half and i'm like i don't care that was freaking awesome yeah and this is a little bit later but one of my favorite action shots of the entire episode is after the magistrate is about you know says to attack her she jumps on 
the ceiling and she's just deflecting lightsaber or deflecting mm-hmm. laser bolts with her lightsabers and just the background and the coloring and the imagery of that just looks so good. It was almost like a moment, like a, a shot you put in a trailer to get you hyped up for the stuff you're going to see yeah. in a movie or in this TV show. I just loved the choreography and just how everything looked with her using her lightsabers in this action beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, then she goes into the city, you know, confronts the magistrate and all her dudes and they just, start shooting at her she jumps up there and i love how she like deflects the lightsaber blast and then does it's very brief but she does like a flying leap off the roof that's almost like it reminded me of like uh crouching tiger hidden dragon and those yeah. type of movies where they're like flying around on the wires and stuff like that that um, influence is all over this episode yeah yeah obviously all over um but just I, again like just her look of like the look of her leaping off that rooftop in that one particular shot um, but yeah, like I said, I mean, this is totally like samurai movie, kung fu movie, like all those kind of influences. Um, and of course, Din comes in and like rescues the the prisoners as Ahsoka is going around fighting the guards. Oh, I forgot. So first of of the two uh, Old Republic references in this episode, like the magistrates got HK-87 assassin droids. Um, which I thought was a cool reference. I mean, to be honest, the droids didn't really look or sound or act anything yeah. like HK-47 from Knights of the Old Republic. Although on rewatching it again, I did notice like their legs and the way they walk are very similar. Um, and just like the look of their legs looks very similar to like those old HK model droids. But um, yeah, I was a little disappointed like that they didn't have, you know, speaking voices and, and – um, you know, that kind of stuff. But Didn't then again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also wasn't expecting that, like going into the episode in general. And so, you know, if there's if we're ever going to see like real HK-47 type droids on screen, I'd rather it just be in an old Republic story. Um, so I wasn't like mad about it. I was like, I appreciate the shout out. But, you know, the, the droids themselves weren't really. Uh, what you'd expect from that but it was a cool little just nod to the lore nonetheless um but anyway so then you know eventually you end up with this standoff between uh mando and lang who's like the magistrate's enforcer they're standing off in the street while ahsoka leaps over the wall into the magistrate's little compound or whatever and and squares off with her uh and we get of course a duel between ahsoka's lightsabers and the beskar spear that she had earlier and again love the just the cinematography the staging the choreography of this was so you know old school samurai movie and you could see this was like the same type of influence that Dave Filoni had when making um Twin Sons uh you know the the rebel standoff between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul where it's a very long slow build up where the characters are like sizing each other up and mentally preparing for the fight and kind of analyzing their opponent and then ahsoka ignites the lightsabers you know takes up her fighting stance and the way that the magistrate like hits the spear on the ground and it makes that chiming sound and then she takes up her position it was just so again just i like i can't describe this episode any other way than just artistic like the the sound design there the visuals everything is just beautiful i could watch it over and over again um And then, of course, the duel itself is, I mean, not the most, like, intense or action-packed. Like, it's not Duel of the Fates or Battle of the Heroes, but there's some 
cool shots in there of like the lightsaber mm-hmm. going up against the spear. But even there, I think my favorite shots are not like sort of the fast moving action shots, but it's like the very deliberate ones. Like even, you know, her first move, she strikes with the spear, Ahsoka blocks with one lightsaber and they're still just standing very still, like, you know, taking each other in and analyzing their next move. Um, and again, the kind of thing that maybe watching it the first time, I was like, man, this is not quite as as fast-paced and intense as I would have thought or hoped for. But then, um, you know, just the the more you go, like re-watching it multiple times, just appreciating, almost appreciating Dave just taking his time with it and allowing those moments to breathe and allowing you to feel that tension and that sort of connection between the two characters as these two seasoned warriors that are kind of you know analyzing their opponents like a chess match um and then of course too just the visuals and the sound of just the lightsaber striking the spear as they they keep dueling was just really cool and this was just a really cool and really unique uh scene because i mean we've never seen a, a scene in really any of star wars with a lightsaber going up against this kind of weapon so i thought that was really cool yeah i, I totally agree it's not gonna blow you away by the most amazing choreography that we've seen in a star Wars lightsaber duel, but there are just so many beautiful shots within this fight. It's even when they're not even fighting. My favorite one is, is when they're about to fight, like solo Ahsoka is in her uh, battle stance and she's ready to fight. And this is a wide shot of both of them before they're about to start the duel. It just looks so beautiful. <laughs> and just so many other great shots in this uh, fight that we got. It's a different type of lightsaber duel that, we haven't really seen too much of obviously because it's not a lightsaber versus lightsaber bite or fight, but one that still was pretty cool to see unfold. So yeah, it was just a different one. And I think you used the perfect word as far as describing it as artistic. Cause that's really what it felt like when you just not even see the choreography, but also the, the environment and the setting that they're doing the battle. in. it was just really cool to see. And I think it is one that you appreciate more as the more times you watch the episode, just look, he made another great comparison with Twin Sons. Is how you, for me anyway, appreciated that one more and more after seeing it for the first time. And this one was similar to that, like you said. So yeah, just. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's pretty much done. <laughs> I, I think well, I appreciate this this fight these fights more than than the super elaborate ones, just because there's a lot more at stake. And at least, what's that word I'm trying to say? these fights i like it when they're not just flashy just doing all, all these crazy things it, they just felt like there's a lot of power behind their movements and i really appreciated mm. that and i think that their performances really sell that and i think that that to me is sometimes cooler than just a bunch of people doing backflips and doing crazy fast you know moves and i thought it was a pretty well choreographed fight to be quite honest i, I didn't have any problems with it so with, it, with all that stuff, I didn't have any of that of those problems. So, and I'm saying you guys did either, but just in general, I, I thought it was really well done. And just because I, again, you're you're seeing uh, a spear go up against a lightsaber, and again, going back, going from the aspect of this is the mainstream audience seeing this, you're telling the audience that some things can withstand a lightsaber, mm-hmm. and that you're using that Beskar uh, spear, and again. I once they're you know she's fighting with that I'm like okay I know exactly what this is where this is going and I knew exactly yeah. <laughs> what, what was happening and again like it's beautiful setup it's a beautiful setup for what it's going to be eventually used for and I I think that that is for multiple things to be quite honest but 
with with this, you also establish in future things like in a future Ahsoka series or whatever Jedi series you have going forward that weapon. Some weapons can withstand a lightsaber. It's not just lightsaber beats all. It's not like you're. Um, it, it's it, there is a rock paper scissors, if you will, in Star Wars. It's not just mm-hmm. you know the, the this one thing will trump everything. You know what I mean? Like it's not one of those things. So that that was nice to establish that just because you've, just because you have a lightsaber doesn't mean you're gonna you know if you're in a melee fight you're just gonna destroy anything that comes up against you. So that was nice. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, definitely f- setting up for a uh, a future payoff with another lightsaber that we've seen before. Um, yeah. So I mean, I I just love the way that whole fight was set up. And then of course, as they're fighting. Uh, then like outside the gates, you've got Mando squaring off with uh, Lang and he's just asking him like, you know, oh, who do you think's going to win? And he's like inching closer to Mando and he's like um, trying to convince him like, oh, we're not that different. You and me, like we're both willing to lay down our lives for the right cause. And like this isn't a cause worth dying for um, almost, you know, trying to play that angle like he's going to try to convince him to be an ally or something. But Mando obviously isn't letting his guard down and he's got his gun like his hand on his gun the whole time but then ahsoka defeats the magistrate and uh lang is like oh sounds like you win and so he goes to lay his blaster down which by the way we didn't talk about this yet but he's got like a like a scatter shot like shotgun almost um yeah <laughs> that was really cool to see so he he goes to put that down and then tries to quick pull a pistol out from behind his back and of course din is faster on the draw and shoots him so you got like this old Western gunslinger standoff juxtaposed against this total like Eastern samurai fight. Um, it was just really cool to see. And again, it was almost like a really on the nose homage to like probably the two biggest genres that influenced uh, the original star Wars trilogy, which is Westerns and samurai films. But it didn't feel like, I don't know. It it didn't feel cheap or shallow or like it was just an homage or just fan service or whatever. Like it totally worked. And we've seen episodes of the Mandalorian or of Clone Wars or whatever previously that have done similar kind of things. But I think this one was like the most, the most overt, but also, like I said, just the artistry with which it was done. Like this is the kind of thing that feels like, you know, if they hadn't shifted their whole model from doing anthology films to just doing disney plus series like this is the kind of thing that you'd hope to eventually see as like a star wars story type film because the the original premise of that was you could do like tell one-off star wars stories as like different genres of movies you know and you could do like with rogue one it was you know a war film uh this is like you know this episode was total like samurai film uh you had uh the marshall episode one of this season felt like a total western and that felt really cinematic and like it could have been a movie too and so i love that we get these kind of one-off episodes and obviously this episode is very important in the continuing story of the mandalorian as well for the information that ahsoka provides on on grogu and the guidance that she gives him and where she where she sends him at the end but um i feel like we're also you know this is its own little side stop where we're just focusing on Ahsoka and this is sort of her mission to deal with like the magistrate. Um, 
And so it's almost also in that similar format of like, and you know, some people kind of complain or make jokes about how almost every episode this season has been like the Mandalorian meeting somebody asking for their help. And they're like, okay, well, if you do this one thing for me first, and he has to do the side quest type mission. Um, and then at the end gets what he needs and continues on, on his journey, which honestly, I kind of like that format. Cause again, it sets up, you know, all these different locations Maybe. that we get to go to and all these different sort of missions and things that he gets to be a part of. Um, but this very much, at least in terms of the conflict between Ahsoka and the Magistrate and her, you know, trying to liberate this town from the oppression that it's under, feels like its own very, like, self-contained kind of story. And gosh, I would pay money to see this on the big screen, um, especially, like, and obviously it's not quite movie length, but, like, at 47 minutes, it's... We said of, that yesterday. One of the, <laughs> yeah, one of the longest episodes of the series. And I, I will say, I think this episode is the most that feels like a movie. Um so yeah, I just I I love seeing those influences. I love just the the cinematic and artistic nature of it, and uh, thought they just knocked it out of the park. Dave Filoni really went above and beyond, and I think it really showed his progression as a filmmaker. I think above all as a storyteller, um, he really showed what he can do with Star Wars. And now, and a lot of people complain about his his episodes last season and. Though I would say his his second episode was the weakest. His first his first episode was. I mean, I I, I look back in though I always say that first fifteen minutes is a little bit rough, but after that, it's all it's it's girl gravy from there, man. It, it's great, and I think that this episode only solidifies the fact that Dave should be doing more live action, more writing. And that's the thing to me. It's it's more writing than anything because this story is a, so, I think it's such a great self-contained story. It feels the most like Star Wars to me of all these episodes, even though they all feel like Star Wars and they're all great. This feels so much like it oozes out everything I love about Star Wars and it hits in all the notes than everything. And I think it, it, it's no coincidence that it's Dave Filoni who wrote it. But yes, visually from that standpoint, he has just progressed so much as a filmmaker and I love I love this episode. It's probably my favorite of the series. And I think because it's both a standalone and also progresses the narrative forward in a major way. So it does so many different things well. And you could say quote unquote backdoor pilot, whatever for Ahsoka. <laughs> um and again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if you if it comes if you can do it naturally, why the hell not? If you can make every episode a backdoor pilot if it's good. Why wouldn't you do it? I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, it's like, so for me, it only shows, to me, it shows the diversity of Star Wars as far as what you can do with it on so many different levels that, that it just emphasizes that Star Wars is, has no limitations and that the only limitations it has are the people that are, you know, in charge of it, in my opinion. So to me, that this is showing you that when someone has a big imagination, Star Wars has no limitations. Like you could, like to me, like any, and this is what makes Star Wars unique. I think that any other franchise, I think that, you know, obviously within the world, you know, everything has some limitations, but Star Wars really has, you can tell any kind of story in Star Wars. And it's harder to do that in other, in other franchises. I think you can, you can say that for other franchises, but it's really, really hard to tell those stories where Star Wars it's all over the place of what you can do. And again, it's only limited by the people that are creating it. And I think that Filoni really shows you that 
oh, by the way, I can do this like really, really heavy Asian uh, martial arts, uh, you know, whatever uh, feel to this to this to this uh, episode and have it still be Star Wars. I mean, like, right now I'm watching right now. And when he's in the magistrates, uh, you know, uh, area garden, whatever, it looks straight up from like, you know, it's from, you know, Asian culture and it looks like Star Wars still. And mm-hmm. again, it, it, that's the beauty of Star Wars. And I just love that. I love that, that you can fit so many different kinds of cultures into Star Wars without having it be, take you out and go, Oh, you're, you know, this is what it is. It still feels like Star Wars. And that takes it, it again. It's not easy to do that. And I think that, that Dave Filoni can just easily do that. And it, it's, it's amazing what he can do. So I just think he should be given more, more, more. Give him more, more, more. Make him in charge of storytelling. <laughs> Not Lucasfilm, the storytelling of Star Wars. Anyway, I got off my high horse. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little interesting, too, how he, this is the only episode he directed for the entire season. It just really feels like he just wanted his attention all on this one to make it perfect for Ahsoka's live action debut. And I, I think it definitely shows obviously yeah. with the writing and the directing for it too. So it makes total sense that it came out the way it did. If this was all he was kind of zeroed in on um, yeah. as far as the directing and writing responsibilities for this season. I mean, to be fair, as far as we know, I don't think we have any repeat directors this season. Um, like we know the I think I think just Favreau because I believe he's doing the finale oh is he well see I thought I remember reading that Favreau only was doing one episode this season um oh you know what I might be wrong I think I'm looking at writing credits <laughs> oh okay okay yeah because yeah, as I've, far as I know they haven't announced who's who's directing the finale yet obviously we've got Robert Rodriguez who di- directed the next episode that we're going to talk about and then Rick Famuyiwa is writing and directing episode seven um so oh it, awesome yeah, yeah. He wrote so, it too, huh? um, yeah, he wrote that one too. And then episode eight, I mean, it could be Favreau again. Um, I don't think it's Taika Waititi because he's off doing Thor and his Star Wars movie now. And I don't think it's Deborah Chow because she's now doing Kenobi. Um, so I mean, it, yeah, we could get a repeat from Favreau or maybe Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, or it could just be another director that we didn't yet realize was attached to the show. Um, it's probably Favreau to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure whoever it is, I'm sure they're going to, you know, make sure they put the, the finale in the hands of somebody who really can deliver the goods. Um, before we wrap up with this episode, cause I know we're kind of giving overall thoughts on it, but a couple last big story points we got to get to. First of all, Ahsoka defeats the magistrate knocks her spear to the ground, holds her lightsaber up to her throat and says, now tell me, where is Admiral Thrawn, or where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? And from the beginning, I had a feeling that that's who she might be looking for as she, you know, kept confronting the magistrate and saying, like, tell me what I want to know. Like, where is your master? And I'm like, naturally, because of Rebels, we know that she and Sabine go off to find Ezra and Thrawn. So, like, it makes sense that she would be looking for Thrawn, right? But at the same time, I almost, like, didn't want to let myself believe that we were going to hear a reference to Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action. And so when she actually said, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Like, once the the end of that sentence came out of her mouth, I was just like, holy crap, this is happening. Um <laughs> 
Now, unlike Bo-Katan with her quest to reclaim the Darksaber and reclaim Mandalore and, and all that kind of stuff, which we'll kind of get into that too as far as speculating on where the end of the season might go. But I hope that doesn't get resolved in like the last two episodes of this season, but I think that could be a major storyline for season three. Um, but I don't think we're going to see Thrawn in live action. Or at least not in this series. I mean, they could be setting not up. Not in this series. Yeah, they no. could be. They could yeah. be setting up for a live-action Ahsoka spinoff, or this just could be leading into the next animated series. It's going to be like a continuation of Rebels and and finish that story. But I think we're going to get some kind of spinoff series where we are going to see that hunt for Thrawn. Um, so I think we're definitely going to see that character again, and it may be it might be in live action, but I don't think we're going to see him in the Mandalorian unless we find out that Thrawn is still working with the Empire. And again, like I think in Rebels, it kind of left us with this notion that Thrawn and Ezra are maybe just off in wild space or the unknown regions or something. But the fact that Ahsoka is looking for this magistrate who had previous ties to the Empire and presumably she knows where Thrawn is makes me think that maybe either they never quite left the galaxy, that they just ended up in some random spot or that Thrawn has somehow come back and is having influence on some things or, you know, has some kind of plans or whatever that he's involved with. And so if he is still involved in this Imperial remnant and the same, you know, is, is part of the same plans and stuff that Moff Gideon has going on, maybe he's the one that Gideon reports to, uh, then I think we could see him at some point. So that door is still cracked open, but at least for now, I'm not, I'm not thinking that this was like a setup that, oh, you know, Thrawn is going to end up being the big bad of this season or that, especially not that yeah. Ahsoka's quest to find Thrawn is going to be a major storyline on this show. I'm not thinking that's going to happen. I, I, I honestly think that Thrawn is not going to be involved in the Empire because if you, I have not read all the Thrawn novels. I've only read two of the eight that they put out in canon now. <laughs> and uh, and I that's that's good enough for me. Um, sorry, I like Timothy's Tim, uh, Tim on, but yeah, I, I just, yeah, I'm good. Um, but that being said, Thrawn's only in the Empire to do, to do his thing. Like he's using the Empire for his own gain. Whereas I don't know, and again, I, I have not, it's been a long time since I've reviewed those old Heir to the Empire trilogy uh, books, but I know in canon, he's not exactly like a loyalist like Gideon is for the Empire. He's, it's kind of like, it's going to serve my purpose, so I'm going to use it to my advantage kind of a thing. And at least from the book's perspective. Now, in Rebels, he seems like more of like a, I would say, not quite as a zealot as uh, as Moff Gideon seems to be, but you know he doesn't seem too far off either. But that being said, um, I do feel that he, I think he's doing something that's behind the scenes. Like he's maybe getting a group together to like not like a criminal organization, but something like that. That's why you have the magistrate, you know, on this planet doing this. Like there's. There's something going on that he's doing that he wants to uh, prepare for or something because that's what he's doing in, in the book. The Chiss are preparing for something. And again, I don't know if, if, if they're leading up to its own independent thing. But if Grand Animal Thrawn is in charge of someone that has like this these group of, of you know non-stormtroopers, but they're like thugs, if you will, then the, he's trying to get some kind of organization together not like the empire, but maybe not too far off either. If that makes any sense. So 
it's like he's still doing bad things. He wants to have control maybe of the unknown regions uh, as like the, uh, the Chiss's own like thing. I don't know. And maybe that's what Ahsoka and Ezra kind of find out, you know, and uh, Sabine, excuse me. Um, you know, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm kind of going with it. I don't think he's involved in the Empire because that's not what the impression that I got from reading those novels, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and I totally think it's going to be something where just her name dropping Thrawn is the setup for what her own series is going to be. I just totally think that's what the focus is going to be. And I'm kind of in agreement with you, Paul, where it's probably not going to be with the Empire, at least not to the same degree as we last saw him. Because I'm going to go back to that interview Vanity Fair did with Dave Filoni, where he kind of hinted that the, the time period of where all this has taken place as far as the episode we see here in the Mandalorian is not necessarily after the epilogue of rebels, or we saw Ahsoka the white leave with Sabine. And I'm thinking where this is kind of still in the, I don't know if it's the early stages, but they're still on the hunt for Ezra and Thrawn. And because, which took me by surprise because initially I think most fans probably thought this too, that Ezra has been found by now. They're obviously, this is five years after return of the Jedi, they did that mission is completed. So that's why I was expecting to see Ahsoka just kind of not necessarily in isolation, but on this forest planet living in connection with the force and all that. That's why this was whole story and reveal we got of Ahsoka here was such a surprise. And to hear that her name Thrawn, it made you think, oh man, they still haven't found Ezra. Right. <laughs> so I just really think that that's the crux of what they're after, where maybe they've gotten word of where that Thrawn has potentially made a return and yet in finding Thrawn can lead them into to finding Ezra. And her first lead is the magistrate here, maybe just based off their connections, or maybe she heard that Thrawn was in contact with her um, for whatever reason, not knowing his true agenda. And that's why she's after her to find Thrawn and in turn find Ezra. So maybe her series is going to deal with that. And the eventual end and wrap up of her journey here is going to be that epilogue of her and Sabine going to find Ezra, because probably, they probably have to deal with Thrawn first, because I could totally see her series getting started, and the main antagonist is going to be Grand Admiral Thrawn, and the MacGuffin, if you will, will be Ezra, and just where he actually is. And then we'll see, having to deal with Thrawn first will eventually lead them to Ezra, or the information to where Ezra is at, and then that's what happens to yeah. where we see the epilogue of Rebels, where her and Sabine and go off to find Ezra, because they finally know where she's at yeah. or where he's at. But at the I, same time, Ezra, I mean, Ahsoka is going to be going through quite a transformation. I would think to where we see her as embodying the Gandalf, the white imagery that we see there, not holding her lightsabers, but the staff that she has. So it's going to be interesting to see the lead up now, to her to get to that point. Cause I totally believe now that this episode takes place way before we get to that epilogue in rebels. And I think, and now really quickly, I know this is why I love Star Wars and speculating. And first of all, I want to commend Dave Filoni for just having the wherewithal to to creating a story that he or an end game for for at least for that episode of Rebels of knowing where that was going, at least loosely, to have those threads and follow up with it here. That to me, if if Dave Filoni is planning something and and he already knew what story he wanted to tell with those characters you know it's a story worthwhile telling. And that is really exciting to me, the fact that, that this story exists. Whether we see it in a Soka series or a, a book, animated series, I don't care. All I know is if Dave Filoni 
is is writing this out and and has this idea of where it's going, then I know it's going to be good. I mean, for the most part. I mean, he has not let, really let me down at all. So that is really exciting that that Thrawn has a means to an end and that she is seeking him for a reason like and the fact that thrawn has this magistrate to begin with like what is that like there are reasons for that and and we all know dave does not put things in there lightly so that's very very exciting and you go back to you know really quickly to the idea of ahsoka the white or whatever that gandalf thing there's a reason that she's like this and yep. i want to i want to say that for right now that what transformation will she go to to get to that point that again, it does lead me a little bit to my Grogu uh, own uh, conclusion. So to me, there's there's a lot there, and also I just thought of this too for that staff idea that like the Boda Bosque, uh from Tales of the Jedi, like staff, like what if she like is able, like she's mastered being a Jedi so well or whatever to the point where like she doesn't even need a lightsaber; she just uses the Force, and the Force mm-hmm. protects her staff. Like Boda Bosque in Tales of the Jedi. <gasps> <laughs> I mean, there's another cool thing to bring legends into canon. Oh, for, for all we know, me. like she has that staff, but she could still have her lightsabers. Um, uh, yeah, that's what I, I think so too. But yeah. the staff is, but to, to, to me, that is a sig- that is a obviously a, a um, what's the word a a symbol and it's, it, it's, it signifies something. It, she's transformed. And and that to me is what it's what that staff means. Like she's gone beyond lightsabers. Yeah, and and I do wonder if we will see some kind of story between now and that Rebels epilogue that does sort of show a transformation into that Gandalf the White sort of stage. Because I definitely got major like Gandalf the Gray type vibes from her in this episode, especially here at the very end when. Um, like she parts ways with Mando, she gives him the Beskar staff, and he goes back to the Razor Crest because he's going to say goodbye to the child because he thinks he's sending him off to train with Ahsoka. And you see Ahsoka and like the governor of the town, they're kind of just watching Mando leave, and then she kind of gestures him back inside. And it, like it, it's a very quick, very simple exchange, but to me at least, that's that filled in a lot of context as far as. Again, just both like the way that she acted and the way that she was dressed in that scene because she had that that gray cloak back on. And it was so reminiscent to me of like Gandalf advising Aragorn or Theoden or somebody like that in in Lord of the Rings. And the fact that she's been out kind of wandering the galaxy just, you know, again, sort of acting like a Jedi and helping people in need. But there's no Jedi order. And so she has no sort of home base, no temple and obviously along the way, I'm sure she's been searching for clues to to Thrawn and Ezra's location as well. But, um, you know, just kind of hopping planet to planet, town to town, advising these different leaders, helping people in need, you know, helping fight in conflicts and, you know, trying to choose the right side. And so um, – but yeah, something about just that last shot of her turning and walking into the city with the magistrate or with the, the governor or whatever, the new guy that was taken over um, – I just got major Gandalf the Grey kind of vibes from that. Um, But then, of course, you know, we see Din thinking that he's parting ways with Grogu. Um, Ahsoka comes back to the Razor Crest and she says, you know, you're like a father to him. I can't train him. Um, And Din's like, hey, you made a promise and I held up my end of the bargain. And she's like, well, you know, here's another solution. Take him to the planet Tython, which at that point my jaw dropped because that's like the Jedi homeworld from the Old Republic. And I loved hearing that name dropped in canon. Um, 
And she says, place him on this seeing stone in this ancient Jedi temple and there, you know, he can commune with the force and he can choose his own path. And there's a possibility that a Jedi will sense him through the force and come looking for him. Um, and so, you know, he thanks her for her help. He gets on the razor crest, takes off, and she just stands there watching. And meanwhile, you know, just this beautiful swelling version of Ahsoka's theme is playing. And again, just the end of that episode just leaves me with the biggest smile on my face. Um but uh, and of course we'll talk about Tython as we got to it much sooner than I thought we would in the next episode. But um, aside from that, um, well, I guess there's, there's kind of more to talk about that with with the next episode as well. But I know Paul, you kind of wanted to get to your theory on Ahsoka and Grogu and and where all of this could be leading, and then Tim and I are going to refute the heck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know here's the thing, and I. I just, just, just to me, there's there's a lot of different possibilities with Grogu, and I think Zoko is definitely one of them. That's the one, and I'll be honest, that's the one I want, and that that definitely clouds my judgment, you could say. Um, I but when I we watched this, you know, for those who don't know, me and Tim, uh, we invited Kyle. He he already had watched these episodes recently a bunch, but. Me and Tim uh, marathon the entire second season um, that's been released as of so far. And I have been very, very outspoken about thinking that Ahsoka still will train the child. It just makes to me too much sense on so many different levels. And, and, and Tim and I really did – we went through kind of all the possibilities for where this character could go You know, as far as if it wasn't Ahsoka. Why do I think it's Ahsoka? And to me, it, it very much, there's so many different wild cards that you could throw into this. And this is, I'm going to say this right now. The reason why I want, before I think it's still going to happen, the reason I want it to happen is to me, I just think that there's, this character is so, is so interesting. And I don't, I don't, I just, for me, I don't want him to stay with the Mandalorian. I just don't. And the reason I don't want him to stay on the, with the Mandalorian is because it's just going to be to the point where he's just going to be dumping off to a babysitter every other episode. Because you can't if he, once he once Baby Yoda, Grogu, the, isn't the focal point, it becomes a babysitter. And and I don't mean that I'm not trying to be you know, derogatory here, but really, it's like Baby Yoda is not essentially that useful unless you know he's going to be healing people on the reg and he doesn't fall asleep every time. And you know what I'm saying? So to me, just like that, the, like the heiress is a great example of why you can't have baby Yoda with Mandalorian constantly because he's going to be put in danger constantly. He's going to be saving him, and it's just going to get old. And it, to me, it's like, it doesn't really make sense for him to be with him all the time. Now, granted, there's great drama and build up the fact that Ahsoka establishes that he cares about the Mandalorian. He looks at him as a father figure. He knows that, you know, Grogu could probably feel his, his emotions and, and know or, uh, Din's emotions and knows that he's a good person, an honorable person. And maybe and the fact that maybe that's maybe the first person that Grogu can actually identify with and say, yeah, that person actually has my best interest in mind the first time in like, you know, 40 years or whatever. So I think there's a lot to, you know, there's lots of great drama right now with him. But at one point, it's going to become stale and that unless Grogu like gets a growth spurt and becomes a lot older and you can communicate and he can get himself in and out of trouble, I think that you you can't have him stay with the Mandalorian. It just doesn't to me, it just it becomes a, a 
it becomes too much of a, I got to drop him off the frog lady again. Hold on a second. Or I got to drop him off Ellie. I mean, that's what he's been doing. And I, I just feel that that's going to get old. And to me that with his Jedi powers and, and everything, it only makes sense for him to be with a Jedi. Now here's the other thing. There's, there's, there's three possible, there's four possibilities. Okay. I'm going to throw them all out there. There's one. You can be with Ahsoka, which you guys all want to poo-poo, which whatever. You can be with Luke, right? Well, the problem with going with Luke is a death sentence. Because he attempts to kill his nephew and then everything goes <laughs> to hell. I so, knew you were going to go back one more time I, I, when I you said that. I, I, I'm sorry. I had to. I had to. I had to. But all, in, in all seriousness, you know, that, that thing goes south. And if that goes south, it's, 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 it's not, it doesn't feel good. It does not yeah. feel good going to Luke, right? Just because, based only on that. If that was going to be changed or what, or not changed, you know what I mean? If that was going to be, you know, something different, then I would say, yeah, would he has to go to Luke, right? Be that over Ahsoka. But because of that, and the fact that, and, and here's a big one. The reason why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into why I think it needs to be Ahsoka. The reason why it needs to be Ahsoka is that right now with Rey and the Rise of Skywalker, there's no Jedi Order as we know it established. We, and I think it would be awesome, in my opinion, that post Rise of Skywalker, we have a new Jedi Order where it's basically multiple different Jedi operating. You've got the Rey Skywalker and her Jedi Order that she will hopefully be doing, and, and maybe won't all of a sudden like get five people and then get corrupted and you know whatever like in Luke Skywalker. You know, hopefully that actually goes on. And then you, I potentially, in my opinion, would be cool is to have the Ahsoka, the Ezra, and Grogu faction. And them starting their own Jedi Order, again, to bring a religion into it, our current religion systems or whatever, you know, I, I consider myself a Christian, but man, how many different denominations of Christianity are there? <laughs> Tons. And they all are variations of different things and different interpretations. And and you know what? Like, And I think that's what would be really interesting to have that in Star Wars with Jedi, because not everyone thinks and agrees on the same things, even with, even if they have very similar beliefs. And then there's something very interesting about that. And I think that would be really cool is if that we can establish the Je a new Jedi order post rise of Skywalker and not just with Ray, but actually other people establishing, you know, whatever Cal Kestis. Right. I mean, that's another thing. I think that's really fascinating. Um, so I, I say all that, with these four different options, you've got Soka, you've got Luke, you've got, I'm going to put Cal Kestis slash, but slash an, another wild card like Jedi, you know, new new character, which is definitely intriguing to me as far as maybe not Cal Kestis, but a new Jedi character coming out of the, you know out of the out of the shadows and saying, "I've been hidden for a long time. I will train Grogu," and then you kind of have a new thing going on with them and and whatever, and you can still have your Ahsoka and Ezra fight and Thrawn and all that stuff. But to me, it seems more impactful to have a character like ahsoka because we all have an attachment to her and, a, and, a, and a, a fondness for her that it would make sense for her to train this this new era of jedi with grogu um and i think the last and my fourth one is even more one i just thought about just now is he actually gets dropped off at his actual home world and he grows up not even to be a jedi or anything not with mando not with ahsoka not with any other jedi but he actually gets dropped off and gets to live his life in his species on his native world. And that's where we would find his, and that's honestly, if it's not Ahsoka training him or another Jedi, then it, I think it has to be that it's because 
with this episode leading, you know, kind of a little bit of a, of a segue with this whole scene stone thing that we get in uh, this latest episode. I, and, and going back to why I think it's still going to be Ahsoka, because I think Baby Yoda is here to stay. I don't think he's a character or Grogu, I should say. I don't think Grogu is just going to be like a, oh, he introduced his character or just, you know, it's just going to be a baby forever. I think there's a lot of potential to grow this character, no pun intended, um, to to be a new Jedi. Because look at Ahsoka. Look at the, look at the transformation she made as our young, a young character. All of a sudden, as an adult, as you know, a huge character now. I think they have something they can nurture and build and make it, you know, have this character kind of grow with this new generation of Star Wars fans that love Grogu slash Baby Yoda. And then you can use that to your advantage as they grow up and you can have Grogu grow with them and become this major character or whatever. So to me, that there's more, like, there's more impact here. And because I think that Ahsoka still will train him because she does say, I will train him. She gives him his word. Which I know no, she goes back. No, off. she gives yes, him his yes. word. No, no, she gives him his word. She gives her word that she will make sure that Grogu is properly trained. And she does lots of interesting visual, like up cl- close up faces, expressions as they're leaving, as they're looking at each other. And as he waves to her, if there's just, and again, they communicate not through words, but they're, you know, through just their emotions and they're and reading each other's minds. To me, there's more going on. I think, in my opinion, and again, this is also me wanting this to happen, so there's also that element to it. I still think that she doesn't, she knows that he is conflicted, yes. And that him going on this stone, I think, will also solidify what he wants. And I think that's what she wants to know. And I think she's like, I'm going to let, man, he's a, he's protected with the Mandalorian. He's, a, he's in good hands. I'm going to let the Mandalorian do his thing. And then once he goes on the scene, so I'm going to feel this presence. And if Grogu wants to do this, he truly wants to be a Jedi and all that stuff, then I will go train him. I will go and do that. Or someone else will. Or I, I feel that there's a, she's not just like, all right, this, I, I'm just going to wash my hands of this. That doesn't seem like Ahsoka to me. And I feel that there's, there's more to it. And I, it just it just doesn't feel like you so you just throw Ahsoka in here for a backdoor pilot for one episode and see you later. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I think that th- that's why, especially with the scene stone and how and what happens. Like if it was just like he sends on there and it's like one thing happens and whatever. But as we get in this episode, like something like crazy happens. It's it's kind of nuts. And to me. It's not, I just, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's just something that Soko's just going to wash her hands of and say, see you later. It just does not make sense to me. So I, I feel that there's still, I mean, am I like 100% still, you know, bet my house on it? No, but I still think it's likely to happen. I want it to happen, but if it doesn't happen, I hope he goes back to his home world because, or it's trained by another Jedi. Cause I don't want him to stick around with the Mandalorian. It becomes, it just becomes too, it's, it becomes, you know, too much of the same thing at that point. Yeah, I will say, well, I'll, I'll give my prediction first. I, I think I was the first one to bring this up at the beginning of the season, back when it seemed like an outlandish thing that I didn't want to get my hopes up for. And now five episodes in, well, we're six episodes in now, but after, at the end of this episode, I was like, no, this is happening. We're going to get Luke Skywalker. Um, There's no way we're going to, I don't think Luke's coming. No, I, I definitely think Luke is coming. And I think Grogu going with Luke is not necessarily a death sentence. We still have a good 20 or so years of story to fill in 
before the whole thing burns down with Ben and all that. Maybe Luke, <sighs> may, we could get another story where Luke returns him to the planet of the Yoda people. Or, you know, maybe not all of Luke's Jedi were at the temple when it burned down. Maybe by that point, Grogu was an apprentice to, you know, someone who would become a fully trained Jedi Knight and they were off doing something somewhere else. I mean, how many years did we think that Luke was the last of the Jedi and that Obi-Wan and Yoda were the only ones who survived Order 66 and now we've got Cal Kestis and Ezra Bridger and Kanan Jarrus and Ahsoka Tano and all these other guys. So there's Well, there no, are technically Jedi at this point, right? I mean, well, like, they're yeah, like... Well, look, Grogu, Grogu's not technically a Jedi either. I'm just saying... No, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying him Jedi. going with Luke does not automatically mean that he's going to be dead in the time of the sequel trilogy. There's still a lot of gaps yeah, to fill in there. Um, I, I, I just... I, that just, to me, seems like you're you're putting salt in the wound. Because of where we see Luke and where everything goes. I, just, I I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there's still a lot of room to play with there and a lot of different stories they could tell. And like you said, I still think there's a very real possibility that the end game for this could be Grogu returning to the home of his people. But it could be Luke who takes him there and not Din. That'd be I, cool. And that'd be cool. That'd, that'd I, be also cool think, that. I also think there's a possibility. Now, now here's the thing. Again, jumping ahead a little bit because the next episode obviously ties into this. When yeah. Grogu activates the Seeing Stone and he's obviously like entranced in this force field, like you know something big is going on. And then nothing happens I in agree. that episode. Yes. Nothing happens in that episode, but I think that's going to have a big payoff. I think it's like it's like the snap in Avengers Endgame when you know Hulk gets the gauntlet and they've collected all the stones and he he snaps to bring everybody back, but then immediately they get attacked by Thanos and crap hits the fan and you don't get the payoff sure. of that moment until later when Thanos beats the crap out of them, they're on their last legs and then everybody comes back. I think it might be a similar situation where like in the season finale, they're like, okay, hey, remember when Grogu activated that seeing stone a couple episodes ago? Now he's captured by Moff Gideon and all that, but a Jedi heard him and bam, here's Luke Skywalker to the rescue. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Grogu is going to go off with Luke. Maybe Luke is going to give more insight into whatever it was that Grogu saw on that seeing stone. And maybe in okay. his, his vision or his meditation or whatever, maybe Grogu chose his path and chose that he wanted to stay with Din. Or, no, no. or chose well, that he wants right, right. To, to go back to his home world or whatever. Again, all I'm saying is Luke being the Jedi that senses him and shows up does not auto automatically mean Grogu goes with Luke, Grogu's trained by Luke, that's Grogu's fair, killed by Kylo fair. Ren. I, and, 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 I can, and I can be – I'm behind that. Like, like That's different than him going with Luke and training. And that's, that's what I assume people want when they say Luke's going to show up and, and take Grogu. Like that, he's going to go with, with Luke. Because that's what I take it as. Like, oh, I want him to go with Luke and train. Guys, that's, that's a death sentence. Like, and it is. Like, let's face it. Like, that's, that does not bode well for him. And, and to, to tap around that just seems like. Again, even, even Ahsoka being introduced. We thought Anakin having a Padawan who's not around during episode three, that's a death sentence. And here she is 40 years later still kicking butt, you know? So, like, it definitely, like, I. I will agree that Grogu going with Luke does not bode well if you just look at it on the surface, but I definitely don't think it's an absolute death sentence. But again, I also don't think like that's not a guarantee that Grogu is even going to go off and be trained by Luke. I just think that Luke is going to be the Jedi that shows up as a All result right, of this call, especially. Right. And, and again, early in the season, I thought, ah, that's too much to hope for. He's a major character from the movies, blah, 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 whatever. But at least to me, the, 
the whole framing of Ahsoka's story here definitely seems like she's passing the torch and and setting it up for a different Jedi to show up. And the only I, other I think it's a ruse. The only other possibilities that we have at this point that we know of, it could be Ezra Bridger. And I don't think it's going to be him because I think they're going to save him for the Ahsoka story. And it could be Cal Kestis, but we don't even know for sure that Cal is alive during this time period. All we know is that he wasn't yeah, dead the last Cal time Kestis. we saw him. Um, and honestly, I hope it's not Cal just because I I am really looking forward to more sequel games to Jedi Fallen Order. And yes, I would love for agreed. them to have creative freedom and not have to line up to like a certain story point that happens in the future. Um so as much as it would be cool to see that character in live action, I also kind of would prefer him to just stay in the video game realm, at least for now. Um, and it just well, makes let, let, it let, just makes sense that Luke would be in this time period would be out among the Outer Rim looking for remaining Jedi, looking for force sensitive students, looking for Jedi texts and artifacts and all that kind of stuff. And so for him to hear this call and sense this child reaching out through the force and for him to be the one who shows up. To whatever end that leads to, we don't know, but I think he's going to be the one that shows up. All right, so here's my question for both of you. Regardless of who shows up as far as whatever, does he be tra- does he get trained to be a Jedi or not? Does he train to be a Force user? Now, look, that I don't necessarily have a prediction on because, like I said, I think we could find out that Grogu has this Force vision or something where Ahsoka says he can choose his own path. And maybe he chooses that he wants to stay with Mando. Maybe he chooses that he wants to be trained as a Jedi. Maybe he chooses that he wants to go home to his people. I don't know. I'm very intrigued by that. I can't wait to find out the answer, but I don't necessarily have a specific prediction on that right now because they could go any number of ways with it. Yeah, so my answer to that is just leads into my whole thought on what Grogu's fate is going to be. And right now, to answer your question, I think, no, he's not going to be trained as a Force user. And that leads me to think that all these possibilities of who he can end up with, Ahsoka, Luke, I think it's going to be no one. He's staying with Din Djarin. And for at least to the course of the end of the series— and maybe the final episode will be no Din having, having to say goodbye, like leaving him with his people on the planet or to that effect. Because I think that we are going to see a moment that's going to be a very heartfelt and a tearful goodbye that they will have with each other. And I think that's going to be the end of the series. I just don't think his path is going to be with a, any Jedi that we're familiar with. There was so much, I want to say so much, but a lot of hints of that connection he has with Din and he's not going to want to be separated from. I think he's going to want to choose to stay, especially at the very start of episode six, where Din is kind of talking to him, saying how he's very special and he's going to make sure he gets the proper training. And you can kind of hear in his voice how it was hard for him to say that. And I didn't know he's going to have to leave the child and say goodbye to him. And I think the child is not going to want that. He's going to want to stay with him. And in regards to the call, I guess we'll call it when he goes on the sea and stone and who can hear it. And Ahsoka did say a Jedi would hear it, but then she also said there are very few Jedi left, which to me might indicate that there's not going to be any living Jedi responding to that. I'm thinking maybe to set Grogu on his path or at least to have a discussion with another force user or jedi maybe we're gonna see force ghost yoda show up Uh? and it would be something where the call or that big light the energy that we see i mean again just in regards to what that means is a whole question in itself but with ahsoka saying there's not very many ahsoka saying there's not many jedi left 
maybe the only one who would hear it would be another one of his species who is now part of the cosmic force with Yoda and the force goes, maybe he would show up in a, a vision or just to Grogu himself and kind of, since Grogu can't really talk, <laughs> give that exposition of what Grogu's path is going to be, which I personally think is going to be him staying within over the course of the series. I just think their connection is just too strong. And that bond is just a big part of the show. If you're going to look at it from just a real, a real world perspective, as far as, this series not going to give away its most popular character that's been such a phenomenon to so many people who are watching the show. And then by the third season, he's not a part of it. I just really don't see that happening. And he's, you do it, Tim, if you're going to put him in a different series like Ahsoka. I you, just no, I don't think so, especially because I know you're saying how it makes sense for him to go with Ahsoka. But it might be in the same situation that you're afraid of here with him just needing a babysitter for every episode. I know with but Ahsoka least, being to train him, but he's still very young. And if she's focused on finding Ezra, which I believe that's the crux of the series is going to be, I, I just think she might Ezra, not bring him on just like Din won't bring him to. But, him but Ezra is be, because, he's a, because he's a Jedi. It's because now you can essentially start the new Jedi order. This could be this. What to me is was more intriguing because if you're, if you're Mandalorian, if you're the Mandalorian, you just have a baby around just because you want to have a pet son. And again, not like it's not a pet. Like it, you know what I mean? It's different if he's not going to train him, he's just going to hang out with them and he just dumps them off. It it'd be different if he's actually a part of the action. And I think with baby Yoda and and using force abilities, you could develop him and actually use him in these different uh, situations with Ahsoka and Ezra and Sabine because you're developing the whole idea of his character and of being a Jedi. Whereas yeah. he's just, if he's just going to be a random, you know, character and he can like, you know, heal people every once in a while and then fall asleep, that's fine to use here or there, but it just, it gets a little, it's just not as, to me, as compelling as if he's being trained by Jedi, at least in my opinion. But here's the thing though, where if it's not regards him being trained by Ahsoka, I mean, we got to consider his species and his age too. How, I think it's going to be way past this generation before he's really able well, even to yeah. do anything remotely no, like a young Padawan. I, yeah, exactly. I, have, I have a rebuttal against that. I have a rebuttal against that because, again, I was listening. I'm going to give I'm going to give credit to this podcast. Rebel Force Radio, I was listening to it. I I, I just – I don't always like listening to them. I don't, I don't always like to agree with them. But I'll give them their credit today. Uh, one of them had said, and I thought it was a really good point, how do we know – that Grogu is just not all of a sudden just gonna like just grow like growth spurt in a real like fast amount of time. We don't again mm. cre- these species age differently, and mm-hmm. I, I'm no, very and, 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 and established that they age differently real slowly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't. I will. I will say though, there's there, there's a precedent for this because I I do think now not to get hung up on technicalities and say like oh because there's this one line that this and this absolutely has to happen. But in yeah. either Empire or Jedi, Yoda says, for 800 years have I trained Jedi. So if you take that at face value, that would imply that by at least around 100 years old, he was a full-grown adult. So maybe Grogu will have some kind of growth spurt at some point because exactly. he's, he's halfway to that point and he's still the age of like a two-year-old. So that could be a possibility. But at the same time, I do also think like if if he goes off with Ahsoka, it's not like suddenly he's going to be – you know, a, a teenager and be able to wield no, a lightsaber. No, I agree with that. I, no, like I that. agree with that. But you could, you could, if you, this is again, this is where I think that regardless if you went with Ahsoka or, 
or another Jedi, there's more reasons for him to be involved in the action at that point. Whereas it doesn't make as much sense with Mando because he's not training him and it's not really, it's just kind of hanging out and like, he's my, he's my son. I could train him to be a whatever and you could do that. But it's again, the, the drama just really isn't there. And he just gets kind of stuck. I think baby Yoda would suffer if he just was with the Mandalorian as a character. Like it'd be fun. Mainstream audience would love him. And that's why I think putting him with Ahsoka in her own TV series, which has been pretty much like hinted at like this whole time, it makes the most sense because you could put him in that show. People automatically will be like, oh, baby Yoda's coming back. It's in that new Star Wars show. We're going to watch it. Like, it's tailor-made for that. And that's a big reason why I think Ahsoka is going to train him. If Ahsoka was not getting her own show, then I wouldn't be as persistent about it. The fact that like, it's been pretty much like, it, it's been heavily hinted at, like it's, it's like rumored and she's going to get her own series and Rosario Dawson's portraying her, all this stuff. It only makes sense to me and the way they're going with the character, it only makes sense from a business standpoint to say, hey, Baby Yoda, like we should, like, we should take him Move him to this show, and then that way people, because people are going to watch The Mandalorian regardless. Like they, they know they have a hit. Like Baby Yoda is a big part of it, but he's not the only part of it. And, you're, and right now they're developing everything really, really well this season to build up towards, I think, separating these two characters. And that's why I think that it makes the most sense to put her with Ahsoka. If Ahsoka was not getting her own show, then I would say you're absolutely that, like that's probably not going to happen. But because she's getting her own show, probably that's why I think he's going with her. So anyway, I'm done with that. But yes, I. By the way, this has been a great conversation. I love this. This is yeah. what I live for. Yeah. No. See, I'll. And I would have agreed with you, a 100% until we saw this episode. <laughs> I mean, just by. But this episode does nothing to like dispel and anything. The, no, no, no. no I'm gonna, we'll see. Paul, what she tells I'll, them, the way. She, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, Paul. I'll, I'll agree and disagree with you on the fact that I <laughs> do think the the sort of continued. Um, utility i guess of grogu in his current state without him growing or developing at all is sort of limited um the other thing i mean as far aside from just cuteness and and comic relief but i think he's gonna have to grow and develop as a character at some point i also think we sort of assumed from the end of last season when the armorer sends him on his quest that you know, that Din searching the galaxy, trying to return this child either to the Jedi or to his home planet was going to be the thrust of this entire show over multiple seasons. I never thought that. Well, well, Tim and I thought that. But as we're getting close to the, as we're getting close to the end of this season, it seems like we're already getting close to the end of that journey. You know, having now met Ahsoka and now she sends him to Tython and him reaching out through the seeing stone. Like, I think by the end of the season, they're going to meet a Jedi who is either going to take the child or we're going to find out that, you know, he's going to be put on a different path. Um, So I don't think, I don't think that after this season that Din trying to return Grogu to the Jedi is going to be the main focus of the story. I think that plot point is going to be resolved whether Grogu stays with him or not. I think you could have Grogu still stay with Din and, and you just have to find, different things to do with his character because now it's not just this cute child that he's trying to get to the Jedi. It's like, well, if he's going to stay with him, there has to be a reason for it. Um, and you yeah, can start yeah. developing and, and, and you can start developing that character and developing that relationship. But so I agree with you on that, but I don't think it's going to be Ahsoka. First of all, 
I like I and I wish that she had sort of made this a little bit more clear, not necessarily for the audience, but for Din, because it does kind of seem like she's going back on her word a little bit at the end of the episode when she says, like, I still can't train him. And Din's like, but you promised and whatever. I think now that she knows where Thrawn is, I think she's got this dangerous mission ahead of her and doesn't want to bring a child along as part of it. And she doesn't explicitly Do we know that she knows where he is. It's heavily implied. And, uh, and I assume she does. Yeah. 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 Guys, I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, there's. There, I mean, and look, think about at, the, at the very least, even let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. Even if she doesn't know exactly where Thrawn is, we know that's the mission she's on. We know that's what she's after. And hunting down Grand Admiral Thrawn is not something that you want to bring a baby along for. But at least he has a fighting chance if you develop his fighting powers. And plus, she was 12 years old when she went into freaking Clone Wars, for God's sakes. This is <laughs> well, and how much is he going to do? He's not really an infant. He's 50 years old. But he's, no, he's not really 50 years old. He's still I know, an infant, but, but yeah. here, listen, but, but because, again, because that they, and this is where I think it'll be interesting to see with that whole, um, this, this is why I think she wanted to send the scene stone. Because I think she wants to see what does he want. But why would she mention to, another Jedi would hear it? And yeah, because she them. doesn't want to reveal that. Because I think. But why keep more, that a secret? Why is it a point to because keep it a secret? Be, because I think that one, she wanted to finish up on Tython, what was or not Tython, but with whatsoever is going on in that planet. And I also think she didn't want to, you know, imply anything to the Mandalorian. Like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll meet you there. Like, I, I think she just didn't want. She wanted to make sure. Things were settled and didn't want to influence anything and wants to see what Grogu really wants because there is too much conflict in him. And I think she knows that. And I think that if she didn't, you know, if she takes him, she wants him to be really, she wants to make sure that's what's in his heart. That's what he wants. And but right even now, if what, even if it's what he wants, I think she made it clear she doesn't want to train him because of Anakin and that attachment. I think the combination of, I think the combination of that. You know, her not wanting to repeat Anakin's failure and, again, her having her own mission to go that, find Thrawn. That's why she sent him to the Seeing Stone. And that's the, I think that's, that's why she sent him to the Seeing Stone. Because nah. she knew. Like, if I, if, I, if I still have reservations after that Seeing Stone, then someone else can take him. Then that's the way it's the will of the Force. And I think that's the way she feels. If she Seeing Stone and the will of the Force wants me to train him and that's what, that's what happens, I'm going to do it. And I don't think you, she doesn't even spell it out as much right there because she does give him his word that she's going to train him. And she's like, eh, I'm not going to do it now. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. I think there's way more. No, no, no. She does not give her word that. that she's going to train him. She gives her word that she will make sure that Grogu is properly trained and sending him to the seeing stone is a way to do that. She never promises that she's going to do she it also personally. Did, but she also said there's never going to any left. Not so very many. Like, yeah, again, eh, might, and again, I think that might just be a way of hinting. Yeah, you know who else is? Luke Skywalker. Yeah, but listen, I'm telling you right now, like again, I, I would I would be on your 100 percent on your on your side. Like I would not think this if she wasn't getting her own show. Because she we don't show, even know for I sure that she, we don't even like, we don't know hundred percent that she's getting her own show. We know that there is more right. story to tell. We, we are very, very likely, very, very likely she probably will get her own show. Yeah. But you know what? We anyway, could that's we could thing. that's that's a thing. Yeah, and I agree. It is very likely, but that doesn't automatically mean that Grogu has to be a part of it. Likewise, with your theory about her maybe starting a, a Jedi Order separate from Rey or something, she can do that without Grogu too. So, you know. She that, could, which I hope she still does, by the way. 
well, I'm just saying that's not like evidence that she's going to, you know, end up taking the child with her. So, and I think again, just from a filmmaking standpoint, just the way that that final scene is shot and constructed with the music swelling and her saying goodbye and watching as the ship takes off and then walking away back to the city, that feels like just through the, the visual language of the storytelling feels like a pretty definite ending to me that this was the Ahsoka That's episode. Hilarious. I never read the, into that. It just, I just got that feeling from it, that this was the Ahsoka episode of the Mandalorian and that we yeah. may see her again. Like now we have a, a doorway with Thrawn that, you know, we, we have an Avenue to explore a future story with her on her own, but I don't think she's coming back into the Mandalorian anytime soon. And I think, if she's the one that just shows up at the end of the season, you know, in response to to whatever Grogu did or saw on the seeing stone, I think as much as I would love to see Ahsoka in live action again, I think that would feel kind of disappointing and redundant for her to kind of set up that tease of, oh, another Jedi may come looking for him. And then it just be like, hey, it's me again. So I don't think that's going to happen. If it and is, I, I I hope say, if, it, if it is, if, you, if it is, you know, I'm going to let, never let you hear the end of it. <laughs> I just want See, you to know all just adding to the excitement of finding out what yeah because <laughs> honestly because here's the thing if, if, if I'm wrong and if I'm wrong this is what makes it so much fun so I love you guys like this is all like I love to argue and debate and this is, I live for this stuff and here's the thing if Luke Skywalker if Sebastian Stan shows up as Luke Skywalker first of all that'd be like the best well-kept secret like right? ever because every I, seriously like I, I'll give that's one reason why I would not probably be upset at that only because they pulled it off. Like I was like, man, you guys pulled this off. I can't believe it. Like, that's amazing. That's why I don't also honestly think that's going to happen. Cause it seems like if people would be, uh, it'd be rumored by now or whatever, but, but, but Sebastian Stan is already in either. the Disney camp from like Falcon and the winter soldier. So maybe it would be easier uh, for them I to understand. get him in on it without it leaking. And that's possible. And that's why I'm saying like, like they can still either way, if they can pull this off without people finding out and keeping it a secret, like baby Yoda, then Holy crap. Then like I'm all in. And especially of what it can signify. I do. I still think it's a death sentence and I still think it's not, I don't think it's likely, but if it did happen, I wouldn't be against it either. If that makes any sense. So just know that like regardless of what happens, the only thing I do not want to have happen is have him stay with the Mandalorian. And that's what like that. He's just going to stick around because the fans love him and he needs to stick around with the Mandalorian. They're afraid of losing their cash cow. That would to me, that'd be like, Oh no, that's not a good, that's not good. To See, me, I disagree good. with that. To me, that's just well, more, for you, but yeah, but for me, I'd but like, not, not even just from, like you said, losing the cash cow. I think it's an interesting story of I this know. character, young character who's force sensitive, but is not choosing the Jedi path. And is going to have interesting. His, surrogate yeah. father raise him i just i That's just interesting i just think that if they do do but that and, and i could seasons. i could see that happening but i think they just need a new interesting angle with the two of them because i think like let's say he does you know a jedi shows up in the season finale and it kind of resolves this whole story arc of trying to return grogu to the jedi or to his people or whatever I think season three, again, I'm expecting a lot more with Bogatan and her quest to reclaim the Darksaber and all that kind of stuff. I think yes, I, th I think agreed. and and again, kind of jumping ahead here, don't worry, we'll we'll talk about Boba Fett in a minute. Oh yeah. But obviously we see oh, we, we obviously we see <laughs> Grogu get captured by Moff Gideon. I think this season is gonna end with 
Din successfully getting Grogu back from Moff Gideon and maybe defeating him in a battle, but I don't think he's going to kill him. I think Moff Gideon's still going to have the Darksaber, still going to have his Imperial mm-hmm. forces going, mm-hmm. and I think there's still going to be a lot more there. Because then again, Bo-Katan's quest to, to defeat him and reclaim the Darksaber and reclaim Mandalore, I hope they get a lot more into that in Season 3, and I hope they don't cram that into the last two episodes of this season with everything else that's already going on. Um, so I think we have a potential storyline. I, I think there's plenty of story to get into in season three, but like Din doesn't need Grogu with him for that. So the two of them need, a, need a character arc and need a reason to be together if it's not Din still trying to return him to the Jedi. But I think, again, if we if question, we, question, question. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I and again, I'm not trying to pontificate more myself. I actually have a legitimate question for both of you. I, what about people have said this, and I'm totally against this. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are about Din Djarin being force sensitive, and that that mm, being wow. like, see, and this is where I would say like, if he has, like, if and I don't think it's going to happen. I, I I don't think that's Favreau and Filoni. I don't think that's their their bag here. Um, but that being said, if he does stay with Din. And all of a sudden, like Din's like, I'm force sensitive. We'll we'll learn this together. Like I'd be like, oh my god. Like no, I, would yeah, be, I wouldn't be happy about that. <laughs> I, yeah. See, and that's yeah. what makes me worried. If he does end up staying with them, that's a potential danger. Because because Kyle, you nail it on the head here. Like sure, if you can find and, and like I've said before, like you know, if there's a great story for Din and and Grogu to stay together. And it's not protecting him from, you know, this whole thing. And it's not going with the Jedi or whatever, like what you want, Tim. And if there's a great story there to be told, like of them staying together, like what Kyle's saying, then give it to me. I just don't think it exists. I mean, maybe it does, but I just don't think it's going to be really, really hard to come up with something that's compelling enough to keep him with the Mandalorian and have the relationship change, barring like all of a sudden he cocoons himself and he comes out a teenager and you know he turns into like you know Groot uh from like you know and end game or whatever you know what i mean like you get what i'm saying like yeah barring that well huh it's funny that because we still know that we're still speculating as far as why gideon wants him and in episode four we know they were talking about extracting his blood and the transfusions but there's still those scientists that with the camino patches what if they establish some of the growth acceleration while he's under captive from Moff Gideon? And that's the kind of answer to oh, your question dude. about oh, a growth man. spurt where Woo. for the third season, he is more of like an adolescent or something. You're getting comic book on me. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. See, this is why I like, this is why I like you, Tim. Oh man. Oh, this is, this is great. Oh, this is so good. God, it feels so good to have Star Wars back. Oh my God. Yeah. No, this, this whole oh, season God, has been, <laughs> fantastic and i think for the most part just giving the people what they want um now okay before we move on to the next episode because i know we're we're pretty clear so i think so paul you want grogu to go with ahsoka um i want luke skywalker to be the one that shows up in response to the call i'm 50 50 on whether grogu stays with him or like goes with him or stays with mando tim you definitely think grogu staying with mando but who if anybody do you think is going to be the the jedi to show up at Uh, the end good question yeah that is uh i think right now the luke possibility is probably the more likely than anything, because I, I I agree with you, Kyle. I think Ahsoka's done for this season. 
and maybe even for the series, if she is going to get her own spinoff, then Luke would make the most sense. But I don't know, I, I do like that idea of maybe it is within the Force, not, not as a Force spirit, if it is Yoda being of the same species and the fact that Ahsoka did name drop Yoda to both of them, it could make a little foreshadowing maybe of that is going to be the Jedi who hears the calls. So I'm not totally dismissing that either. But I think as far as amongst the living Jedi that are out there, I think Luke would be the one that would make the most sense. Yeah, I definitely so, think... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I, I think the Force Ghost idea could be an interesting one too, but... Um, and maybe I'm like you, Paul, maybe it's just, you know, wishful thinking on my part. This is what I really want to see happen, but I would love to see Luke Skywalker show up. And again, it's gone from feeling like a distant fanboy dream at the beginning of the season to something that's a very real possibility six episodes in, but can't wait to find out in another just week or two. I'm assuming it probably won't happen until the finale, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. Oh Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and, and I think honestly, if, if Luke did, if, if Luke did show up, the possibilities that you, what, what that could mean for future stories down the road are just, it, it blow everyone's mind. So that's the one thing that I think that would be, that would honestly would be, would be a huge ramifications. And I think you could then start building towards the sequel trilogy and doing what the Clone Wars did for the prequels and really mm-hmm. making and filling in the gaps emphasizing things maybe foreshadowing different things of you know what's going to happen and and really again improve the sequel trilogy because i think uh the word go on i'm gonna say this right now the sequel trilogy can be improved on still by having ancillary material and 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 not being afraid of both last jedi and rise of skywalker emphasizing what happens in them and and flushing those things out and not being afraid of them but instead embracing them so like they, yeah. like George was never afraid to embrace what he did with the prequels. He went and made him even better with the Clone Wars. And now look what he's done. Like Disney is, is now feeding off of what George's confidence on what he stuck with. And I think Disney, they, they got scared. It was obvious they got scared for The Last Jedi. They made Rise of Skywalker. It is what it is. Let's embrace that. Like what, and they are doing that. It looks like in the ser- in the season even, mm-hmm. but let's do it even more. And if Luke Skywalker does end up showing up like you want in Sebastian Stan or whoever actor it is, then let's start building and showing us the buildup of the new Jedi order, what that could possibly mean, what it means for Ben. And then what it could mean for Ray Skywalker in the future. Like what's, what's give us this stuff. Cause you know what, how cool would it be if like Luke knew that like there was, he, there was a girl with, with his last name. He saw like, you know, the future, but he didn't know what that meant because no one has a daughter. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, he's just like, you know, what, but he's just kind of like, nah, you know, whatever. I mean, cause you can easily just explain, you know, show that he can get visions of that or whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever. That's a terrible thing, but you know what I'm saying? Like you could do so many different things with it. So that would be the first part of maybe trying to fix that. So anyway, Moving on to the big, 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 big thing in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're pretty much – yeah, we covered the Ahsoka episode. I'm like, gosh, we've already gone two and a half hours. But we've already talked a little well, bit about some Grogu stuff. too. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we've talked about some stuff from the next episode too with the Seeing Stone and, and Grogu being captured and all that. What we haven't yeah, talked yeah, about yet. Yeah, we got yet. all that covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we haven't seen yet or talked about yet is uh, Din being up on the top of this mountain with, with Grogu. Well, actually, you know, okay. Before we get into – I want to get one thing out of the way before we get to the big stuff, which is the the look of Tython and just this episode in general 
was my one kind of gripe with this episode. Um, and I've seen some other people say this too, like have issues with just sort of the the production values and whatnot. And coming off of coming from the the last episode, the Jedi, that felt so cinematic, and they obviously built up this whole city and this whole forest environment that just looked and felt very Star Wars. To then have the next episode take place like in the desert in midday, and maybe it's just the fact that I live in Arizona, and this episode looks like it takes place not in a galaxy far, far away, but half an <laughs> hour. It looks like it could take place half an hour from me, uh, just outside the city. Like, was just a little. I didn't hate it. It it wasn't you know a, a huge like I still enjoyed a lot of the stuff in this episode. Just this was my big gripe was just sort of the the visual environment, the just sort of the production quality. Um, and also, like, I was hoping for a little bit more from Tython, too, like, um, obviously being a big fan of the Old Republic and stuff. And in that game, Tython is... It's one spot, Kyle. Now it is. Yeah, I will grant you that. And also, it's been, you know, 4,000 years since the time of the Old Republic. So the, the planet could have changed. And this also could just be one area of the planet. I like the look of, like, these Jedi ruins and the Seeing Stone and everything, and that was cool. But Tython traditionally has been a lot more forests and mountains and waterfalls and and rocky like jedi ruins and all that kind of stuff so i was hoping for a little bit more um but also it, it wasn't even just the fact that it was tython and it wasn't looking like what i was hoping for but again just the fact that the whole thing takes place outside in the middle of the day and it's just kind of this flat rocky desert landscape was just not super exciting to me and again it was a sharp contrast to the previous episode, which felt like they put a lot of effort into like the artistic design of like the, the sets and everything. Um, and they obviously used the volume to great effect, right? Cause I'm sure they didn't build that whole city as a practical set, but it looked like it could have been a practical set. And then you go to this episode where it looks like they put their whole budget into stormtrooper costumes and just shot it outside in the middle of the day. Um, it's funny because also like we talked a couple episodes back about filler episodes and how in like a network TV series, like those are the episodes where you kind of tell like they're saving their budget to do bigger stuff for the season finale. And so I kind of got that vibe from this episode too. Like obviously the story wasn't filler. There's big stuff that went down, but like just visually, I wondered if this was like a specific choice that Robert Rodriguez made that he didn't want to shoot on the volume that he wanted to have it feel very like real world intangible or if it was like hey we need to save our budget for like the effects and the sets and everything for what we're doing in the last two episodes um, and so this is going to be the one that just takes place out in the middle of the desert but can i are we talking about robert Rodriguez now or should i wait uh, let's this hold off on that let's I mean, well, I, okay. I, I, I if you're well, if you're gonna say more in regards to him as as far as the story and the action and all that kind of stuff, we'll save that for when we actually get to it. I'll, I'll wait. Okay. I'll wait. Um, but all yeah, right. so I just wanted to get that out of the way. That was my one thing that I felt kind of brought this episode down a little bit for me. Just kind of pulled me out of it a little bit. Um, I think this just could have been way cooler if it had been in an environment that felt more like star wars but the action and the story here was very star wars very cool din's on the seeing stone with with grogu um you know he's just kind of sitting there not really doing anything din's like hey you know is is this going to do something like i thought you just had to sit down and this was going to work uh and then here's the ship engine looks up and sees freaking slave one just coming out of nowhere <laughs> um touches down lands and then um of course comes face to face with Boba Fett and Fennec Shand back from the dead. Um, 
And gosh, before we get into like the action stuff and the Empire showing up, just this initial, you know, the exchange, obviously Boba's like, I've come for my armor that you got from Cobb Vanth, you know, back on Tatooine and I've been tracking you across the galaxy and all this kind of stuff. It was just like, I'll be honest, I'm glad this happened in this episode because I was kind of getting to the point where, like I said, all the familiar characters and references and stuff that we've seen this season all felt like they fit perfectly to me and I didn't have an issue with any of them except that the Boba Fett thing was kind of starting to feel like is okay but like is that going anywhere remember when we saw Boba Fett back in episode one and so now we find out like he's kind of been right on Din's tail as he's been going all these different places finally catches up with him here he's after his armor back um and it was just gosh just seeing Tamura Morrison with the scarred up face and hearing his voice <laughs> Which sounds obviously yeah, just like Django Fed, except obviously now that he's older, I think his voice has gotten a little bit gruffer, which just lends more intensity to the character. Like it doesn't sound like, and I mean, absolutely no disrespect to James Earl Jones because he's the legend and the master, but like, you know, like when you hear Vader in Rogue One and you can kind of tell, like, you know, he sounds a little bit older, doesn't quite sound like he did in his heyday, but it still sounds like Vader. Whereas Tamura Morrison, like, for whatever reason, like him sounding older, just makes him sound more cool. Like, and it, it, like, even though Boba is still only like in his early 40s at this point, and Tamura Morrison's almost 60, it just, like, he doesn't sound like an old man. He sounds like a guy who's been through some stuff. And Boba Fett has definitely been through some stuff. So it's like, even though he's not that old, he sounds like he's been chewed up and spit out by the Sarlacc and, and all this kind of stuff. So it was just really cool to see him again, hear him talking about wanting to get his armor back and then explaining to Din, like that armor was my father's and, you know, it was given to him by your forebears and everything. And obviously Din is like, you know, you can't have this unless you've sworn the Mandalorian creed and all that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what, I'm sure you guys were probably geeking out even harder than I was. I think, you know, as, as like, you guys are both about 10 years older than me and, you know, grew up in the, I mean, I, I, first got introduced to star wars in the 90s whereas you guys were already like full-fledged fans of it and you know probably were bigger boba fett fans than i was yeah so, um man well yeah this go ahead tim wow <laughs> talk about a surprise in this episode i was not expecting i mean it would have been a totally surprise i didn't see coming if it wasn't for the first shot they showed in the recap of the end of the gunslinger yeah episode. that was a ripoff <laughs> stop doing that mandalorian because like okay they're gonna do it it looks like we're gonna see Boba's return. Well, they gotta rem- they gotta remind the, to they gotta remind the casual fans that have only watched these episodes once each. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think more so than Boba is to show what happened to Fennec Shan. Yeah, and but I thought maybe they could have used another clip of her from that episode instead of her dead body. <laughs> but I don't know, just to keep that total surprise of the reveal of Boba. But man, once Slave One came out, I was like, oh. I, I almost like speechless type of thing. Like, are we actually going to get Boba in this episode? But there's a part of me going, well, it's just slave one. Maybe someone else has it. Boba Fett doesn't have his armor. So maybe he doesn't have slave one as well. But once we saw it, uh, Din was looking through his helmet scope to see who was coming out. It was a character that was cloaked and it looked pretty similar to the robe. We saw him at the end of the Marshall episode, but man, once you heard to more Morrison's voice again. It was just like, yes, it's here. It's finally here. <laughs> the return of Boba Fett post return of the Jedi. I mean, obviously we saw that tease in the Marshall, but to hear him speak and knowing that he was going to play a big part in this episode, I just could not be any happier. I mean, 
you know from the early days of our episodes when we were talking about those spin-off series and anthology films and Boba Fett being on their high priority list of getting one and the fact that it's taken this long and now he's finally showing up and the worry that they might not even use Tamora Morrison and they're gonna go kind of that old route of having it be a mysterious character and retcon certain things and I was worried about that <laughs> but all that just disappeared with hearing his voice and just knowing that Boba is back now and God, it was just the rest of the episode. I know we'll get to what happens later on, but just this exchange he had with Din was just so amazing to hear calling, harkening back to Django Fett and just saying how he wants his armor. And, you know, Din is probably sick of people wanting his best car armor. And the fact that someone's here wanting something else, I just love that dynamic that Din wasn't expecting that. And yet it is something he's not going to easily give him right away, too, unless he's a Mandalorian. And we get it later, more later on when at the end of the episode, but just hearing Boba Fett mention Django and how it was his armor and his four, his forebearers gave it to him. It was just like, man, are we going to go deep dive into some of the history of Django and maybe into some of his origins as, that are our legends now, but maybe be brought into canon? I was just, my mind was going crazy at this moment. I was just think, thinking to myself, I don't care what happens next in the rest of the episode. I'm already loving this one <laughs> just by this exchange Boba is having with Din here. But knowing that more was yet to come and how I was just going to be blown away with eventually what would happen. But just right off the bat, this exchange they had, I was just losing my mind of just how great it was for a lifelong fan of the character of Boba Fett. Knowing for so long that, yeah, he was supposed he survived the Sarlacc pit, but never getting any official in canon stories post return of the Jedi and then starting with that tease of the season and me kind of accepting that we're probably not going to continue with that story for this season. I think maybe it's just a slow build where each season we'll be seeing more and more of Boba. But the fact that once he showed up here, I just couldn't believe it. That Okay. We're getting it this season and I could not be any happier. And again, this is just with this first <laughs> interaction with Din, not even speaking of what happens next. But I was just already a happy Star Wars fan in just these few, first few minutes of Boba showing up. And hearing that callback line of I'm just a simple man trying to make my way through the galaxy like my father yeah, before me. As I mean, combining Django's line with Luke's line from Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm, <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it was just perfect. It was just so great. Oh, I loved it so much. And then also in this moment, of course, not only do we get the reveal of Boba Fett in the flesh, but we find out that Fennec Shand survived as well. Um, and that, you know, obviously we saw her get like shot in the stomach point blank by uh, Toro Calican. And now she she kind of like pulls off this panel of her armor or her outfit or whatever. And she's got like these cybernetic in like implants or whatever in her stomach. So she's like part machine now that's keeping her alive. Um and basically says that Boba saved her life. But I love this line here that he has where he says um, – yes. He says like fate sometimes intervenes to rescue the wretched or something like that. Um, just yeah. a really cool like well-written like you know that just sounds like a Star Wars line. You know, It's like nobody talks like that but it sounds really cool. Um, but also mm -hmm. I, I like that that kind of almost subtly reflects – like it seems like his mentality has changed a little bit. Like – 
I think we kind of talked about this like a couple episodes back or probably on the episode where where he was uh, revealed for the first time and we were speculating about possibilities of like him teaming up with Din and him maybe uh, kind of conforming to like that honorable like Mandalorian way. And we were like, well, you know, it's Boba Fett. It doesn't really seem like he would do that because like he's a bad guy, right? Um, and it seems like – well, first of all, the fact that – and, you know, again, kind of jumping ahead here, but the fact that it's revealed that he and – Django are Mandalorians, at least in some extent. And so I think that's meaningful to him. And he probably has more respect for Din than he would for just some random person because they're connected by that Mandalorian heritage. Um, but also uh You're just gonna overshadow the fact that like they actually retconned. Well, no, no, no. I, again, we'll we'll get to that at the end. I'm just talking about specifically his sort of change in mentality here. And obviously throughout this episode, right. we still see that uh, he's brutal and and you know kick some butt but also the well, fact that he's willing to team up with yeah. din and even sort of take this honorable way of you know he's he's like hey like look we're offering a fair deal here you give me my armor back and like we'll ensure the safety of you and the child and he follows through on that at the end of the episode and so he's he seems to no longer be like this ruthless bounty hunter that's just out for himself and again i think part of part of that could be the mandalorian connection that he shares with din but part of that could also be I think his his brush with death in Surviving. the pit could <laughs> yeah. maybe uh, have humbled him a little bit and kind of changed his his outlook on things. And that somebody even as hardened and ruthless as Boba Fett, when given a second chance and a, a new lease on life, could maybe rethink his ways a little bit. Yeah, there's this. I talked about last episode about or this you know the Ahsoka episode, the, the great introduction to her character. I also thought it was brilliant how they introduced Boba Fett with Slave One just flying, you know, right across, like right away. And the, I thought that was a great, great just introduction to everything. Um, I, I having Boba Fett come back was was just great, man. Um, there, like you couldn't have said it any better, Tim, that about the fact that Lucasfilm had had it was a priority for Boba Fett. There was this talk about you know using the character all this stuff but then what ends up happening people you know kazan's like i want to put him into some like you know different kind of you know, <laughs> mysterious shut up anyway um so you know the fact that, that now they're they they're a little bit like well, actually maybe we should stick with what what's kind of you know what what's already established and now that feloni and, and think of the reaction now that people have given like now it's like man like Fett's are like, ready to go and and they've got all this great stuff and, and there's rumors about this new Boba Fett like series or mini series or whatever going to be happening that, that that's been, and that to me seems like it's a, it's a done deal too, because there's like heavy, heavy rumors. It's going to start production like next month or, that's uh, insane. <laughs> yeah, or, or soon. And with the Disney shareholder meeting coming up soon, I mean, there's probably, mm. they could get announced very easily. And there's a lot of people saying that, no, that's legit. So, um, but no, it was great seeing Boba Fett on screen. It was great seeing Tim Morrison just, you know, embrace. Like own it, man. He owned it. Yeah, he owned it. Like he, he again, he didn't play the character in the original trilogy. He did voiceover because that's what you know George Lucas wanted him to do. And and everyone was like, well, we want the old Boba Fett. And then, granted, I love that old Boba Fett voice because that's what I grew up on. But now, like. George was, he was right. Cause look, 
Like, look what the stories we're going to be getting now, potentially, with this. Like, this is great stuff. And I, I just think that you said it too, Kyle, that, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan in the 90s and you, you, were, you were an 80s kid, as far as like you were born in the 80s, you grew up in the 90s. And if you were a hardcore Star Wars fan, like me and Tim were, Boba Fett was literally on everything Star Wars related. You could not look anywhere without seeing Boba Fett and Star Wars together. I mean, it was everywhere. If you try to refute that, you weren't looking right. Because seriously, or you weren't looking in the right places. Because everywhere I went to, bookstores, comic book stores, uh, anywhere, t-shirts, Boba Fett was everywhere. You know, I mean, he was everywhere. And because he was just, there was this phenomena around the character. And, and there was a reason why George Lucas put him in as the, you know, what he did in the Clone Wars. Because I, I don't think that was ever the original idea of him, but he knew how much people liked the character and he wanted to use it in a very distinct, you know, creative way. And now that wasn't what we all thought was going to happen. That being said, it's amazing what George has done. Yep. And I think that that's what's so fascinating about George Lucas is that he, you know, again, he's the OG uh, um, subverting people's expectations, you know, but he's actually good at it. But anyway, um, so sorry, I'm sorry, another dig. But, but in all seriousness, he he does. He subverts people's expectations because he is he was in charge of Star Wars. That was that was he, Star Wars was his creation. And it was, and he kind of knew what it needed to happen, you know, just, just despite what we all wanted to happen in our minds. And that is, it, that is, you know, something to be said about, you know, Star Wars in general too, right? So, but, but that being said, George, George, what he did with Boba Fett and Jango Fett, it just made this episode that much better. And it was so awesome seeing him together. And you, again, I don't want to steal your your, your lines here, Tim, but uh, Zem Wessel vibes. You you didn't you told me that yesterday. Yeah. Um, with was Fennec Shan, and I was like, oh man, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it was it was really it was just really cool how they used him. And and honestly, like like they can do so much with him now. And I'm so glad they finally they finally did this because now. We can start getting post. There's a couple things from this. One, we can start getting more stories of Boba Fett in general. I'm happy about that because I want more books. I want more comics, right? And I want to see flashbacks in in this either in this in the Mandalorian or in his own series about him crawling out of the Sarlacc pit. God damn it! Like I want to yeah, see. Yeah, we got to see that. <laughs> now I'm gonna go. This is also this is also something that we probably shouldn't forget. And even though it's over now. I'm still going to say it. We need to have a Boba Fett animated special movie with Cad Bane training Boba Fett against the Sand People. That's an unused Clone Wars episode mm -hmm. we have not seen yet. And now, now, the fact that they have embraced Boba Fett as he is indeed Jango Fett's son, a clone of Jango Fett, now that, those episodes can now be, I think, broadcast they don't have to be a part of the actual series of the Clone Wars. You can make it a Clone Wars film special or whatever and make it a movie and release it as that. And with you all really don't even have to call it Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
so to me, you like, with all the you know with all the stay at home orders and you need content. Uh, Disney, you've got uh, a Boa Fett movie waiting to be edited right now with everything ready to go. Put that thing out tomorrow, seriously, because we all want to see it. And now I will say that's also some territory they could get into in the Bad Batch series. So we could see that story kind of reworked into there. And I also think now, again, I would love what you're saying. Like best case scenario, I would love to just see those episodes released as additional Clone Wars episodes or as a movie or whatever. I'm not getting my hopes up too high for that, though. But I also... I'm not either. I'm not either. Now, you say you'd want to see a flashback of him coming out of the Sarlacc, and I think we probably will get that at some point. But as far as things that I would love to see in in live action, in like just even some kind of flashback in a Boba Fett series, that's top of my list, is just some kind of flashback explaining how he first trained to be a bounty hunter and showing him with Cad Bane. It could just be a quick scene, um, like either in The Mandalorian or in whatever Boba Fett spinoff they've got planned. I think, you know, just getting a hint of that and having him explain that story, I think would be really cool if we don't get it fully at some point, because I'm, again, I'm not getting my hopes up for that, but I'd love to see that too. Speaking of his armor, did it take you guys by surprise when he said, uh, when he's talking to Din, that how it was his father's armor before his? Um, because obviously we knew he blew up Jango's helmet in Clone Wars, and I just kind of assumed, like, he didn't necessarily blow up the armor, but the armor maybe wasn't necessarily Jango Fed's either. But I do like the idea that he's saying it is Jango's armor because I that was one aspect of the that Clone Wars arc that I didn't like where he blew up the helmet because I just love the idea yeah. that Boba was wearing the same helmet and armor that Jango Fed wore, that legacy of that armor. I just loved it. So I was disappointed by that, but hearing him say that it is Jango's armor that he's after minus the helmet, I did... And particularly appreciate that they specifically mentioned that and just continuing on that idea that Boba is wearing Jango's armor, but I didn't necessarily think that was the case anymore after that Clone Wars arc. So I don't know if you felt that same way, but that stood out to me. It is really appreciating that they're establishing that that is his armor. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I guess after Clone Wars and after seeing him like blow up that helmet, it's like it could have gone either way, I guess. Um especially with so much Mandalorian stuff going on in Clone Wars. It's like he could have maybe gotten his hands on some Death Watch armor or he could still have Mm -hmm, Jango's armor stashed somewhere. I mean, obviously, he still had Jango's ship. It's not like he built a new Slave 1. Although I guess Hondo had to basically rebuild it because Aura freaking crashed it in that one episode. But um, yeah, I don't know. So like it it wasn't like a huge reveal for me, but it was just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. So I guess that is still... Django's armor and uh I mean I guess I'm assuming he got a new helmet from somewhere unless he like repaired that because he blew it up but it was basically just kind of like split in half so I guess technically he could have fixed point too yeah yeah he could have fixed the helmet if he had retrieved it from the wreckage um so yeah I don't know that's true I I don't know why but I never really thought about that but I, I guess I forgot that aspect of that the helmet is kind of split up because it was that scene where Mace pulls it with the force to look at it. Uh-huh. And so there are pieces of it out there. So maybe eventually Bobo went back there and got the pieces and repaired it. Maybe to the same guy who repaired Kylo Ren. <laughs> I was about to but. say, it could be. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, actually, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, so that's just our first introduction to seeing him and Fennec again. And then, of course, Boba Fett shows up. Then the Empire shows up. And so it's like, okay, now here they are, you know, they've been tracking Din too. So you get this, uh, 
you know, transport shuttle coming down that looks just like the First Order ones from uh, The Force Awakens. Um, oh, no, I also thought it was interesting. This is maybe just another, um, I don't know, I guess tiny nitpick with this, but this is obviously like something that they did intentionally for the story where they're having this standoff and Din's like, put down your weapons and Boba's like, only if you put down the jetpack. And then later it's like, well, obviously they did that just so Din wouldn't have the advantage of his jetpack in this episode, even though there's so many times where it's like, dude, just put your jetpack back on instead of like running up the mountain on foot to go get back to the kid. Um, but he's got his jetpack off and then all these stormtroopers show up. And so Din runs back up to the, the shrine or whatever to try to get the child. Um, and, uh, Boba and Fennec like take cover behind, you know, some rocks and they just start picking off all these stormtroopers with their guns. Um, and we get, I feel like the whole middle of this episode, a good like 10 minutes or so is just shootout blaster action, them taking out stormtroopers, um, but, you know, it was really cool to see. And then, of course, uh, at one point, Boba stops shooting at him and he's got like the Tuscan gaffy stick and just starts going crazy on these guys, bashing their helmets in <laughs> yeah, and everything. And, and that stuff was very, uh, you know, I don't know if you had more stuff you wanted to say on this, Paul, but it was once I saw that Robert Rodriguez directed this episode, I was like, oh, yeah, that tracks. That was definitely his style of, you know, sort of violent, stylized action. But... I liked it, like, especially just for, for a one-off. Well, I guess it's not a one-off Boba Fett episode because we'll see him at least for probably the next couple episodes this season, if not beyond that. Um, but I thought it fit for just the the sort of grizzled, scarred look that Boba's got and just the intensity of that character for him to just be going crazy on these guys um, was – I thought it was pretty cool. Are we cool. doing I, on this? What? Are we d- – are we talking about the director? Are we talking about the director now? Yeah. Is this time? All right. How much time we got? <laughs> <laughs> Not much to say on Robert Rodriguez, eh? No, no, no. I got, I got a lot. Tim, before I go off, do you have anything to add? I'll just, this? yeah, I'll just say I love the action bits in this. If we're just specifically talking about this moment where Boba Fett is using the gaffy yes. stick to take down stormtroopers. It was yes. great. I just love the ferocity he was showing here. Almost like all these years of pent up frustration after the Sarlacc pit, just letting mm. loose here uh-huh. on his enemies. And I loved it. And, right. you know, uh, you hear me complain all the time in the Mandalorian, how I just rolled my eyes at the incompetence of the stormtroopers and the empire in the series. But I did not care one bit about that. <laughs> Even when know, Fennec takes them all out with the bowling ball, like, I loved that scene, but I was like, oh, boy, Tim, poor Tim right now. Not my favorite, but again, <laughs> it didn't bother me as much because of all the great stuff we're getting with Boba. Because <laughs> even more so with that, there's in my clone clone trooper fanboy mind, it was like you're seeing a clone trooper going up against stormtroopers here and just showing how superior they are to these troops. So it's always yeah, like the legacy point. of the clone troopers here striking back with a vengeance against these incompetent stormtroopers when Boba Fett was just taking them all out here. So I loved it. It was great. But Paul, I got an right. inkling of your uh, opinions on this. <laughs> so I'll let you let okay. them all out right now. All right. First of all, I want to say that I'm a Robert Rodriguez fan. I like his films. I love Sin City. Well, the first one. I haven't seen the second one. I heard it's terrible. But regardless, love Sin City. Love it, love it, love it. Planet Terror, love it. I need to see, I've been wanting to see Alita Battle Angel for a long time. I've heard it's very, very good um, from a number of uh, people that I trust. 
And that's, you know, that's one I definitely need to go see. I just am very lazy about watching films in general right now. Um, all that being said, I knew he was going to direct an episode. I thought it was very interesting. Robert Rodriguez knows how to direct uh, movies. And he knows how to direct around a green screen. And he's, the dude's just, he's, he's a prolific filmmaker. He's, he's very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, diverse filmmaker of what he can do. And I, I respect the hell out of the guy. I thought the director on this episode was just flat out weird and very just, just seemed kind of janky. And it kind of took me out of it a little bit. And I'm not, I don't want to put these words in your mouth, Kyle, but I've kind of got the same impression from what you, that you kind of not agree with me, but kind of understand where I'm coming from a little bit. And part of it is the lighting. Part of it's the shots he chose some of the action scenes, just everything was just weird. Now, I think the episode is beautifully written. And I said that on Twitter, Twitter the other day. I said, this episode is beautifully written. I didn't say it was beautifully directed by any means, because it wasn't, in my opinion. And I think that the episode is still phenomenal, despite the director. And I, and I don't mean that, I don't think he did a terrible job. I just think he didn't do a great job. I thought, I, honestly... I thought this was like, I thought Carl Weathers did a probably better job directing as far as executing and having it be consistent with the other uh, episodes. And I know everyone's got a different style and whatever, but just some, just the way that he shot a bunch of these different shots with the, with the stormtroopers, And it just kind of really, to, in my opinion, like you said, Kyle, the fact that it looks like he filmed it like down the street in Texas where he, you know, where he lives, you know, it's like, hey, I, I have an idea, John, let's just uh, head over to my house at Troublemaker, Troublemaker Studios, whatever. And there's a thing down, there's a little hill we can put the stormtroopers on and I'll be great. And, you know, it's like, that's what it feels like. And it felt like the scale and the scope of the show really showed in this episode because like there's like five stormtroopers, but yet like. It, it just it just didn't see the lighting, everything just seems just a little off to me. And it like after if you if you compare uh Filoni's episode to this episode, they just are jarringly like different. Yeah. And and, and I, I I'm not saying Dan Filoni's a better filmmaker than Robert Rodriguez. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just for these two episodes comparatively, and, and again, maybe it's a maybe it's a budget thing. Maybe they told Robert, hey. You've got the low, because we know, and this might be honestly what happened. They knew, Robert, we need you to come in and we know you can make, like, he, because honestly, guys, he made Sin City on a, like, a very shoestring budget for, like, a movie. Like, I remember I was fascinated by it because he filmed it all in, like, his studio, like, with green screen. And he made do with, he did every trick in the book to make the cheapest movie he could make and made Sin City. Like, I think he produced, I mean, like, again, I, I could be, it's been a while since I've researched all that, but I remember at the time it was a big deal. And he did, he literally like funded almost everything himself. And he, he's a very clever, he utilizes everything. And it would not surprise me if they purposely gave him a, a lower budget saying, we know you can do more with this than most filmmakers out there. And if that's the case, then I honestly would understand and not be so hard on it. But when you look at the episode that Floney gives and then what Robert does, it's like, it's just the way it looks. It's so drastically different. It's jarring 
to a negative, in my opinion. I, and, heard, I just read this yesterday in an interview with Robert Rodriguez, but he said how he was kind of a last minute, I guess, fill in type director oh, for this episode. Yeah, okay, I read that out. okay, well, you know, I did not know that. So let me say that right now. That makes a lot of sense because I could see him being like, well, I could do this, I can do that, and put these things together, yada, yada, yada. I mean, that makes sense because it something that didn't seem right completely. And again, it's not like he did a terrible job. I just don't think he did the greatest job. And knowing that he had less time probably than other people, I understand a little bit more now of what's going on. It's just, but even some of his ideas for like how the stormtroopers, it just seemed a little over the top in a negative way. It wasn't like, you know, the balance was, it waned on the, like the more cheekier side, in my opinion, at times. And I, I don't like my Star Wars like that. I like to take it a little more seriously, a little bit not as. I, 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 you get what I'm saying? There's a couple times where I'm like, it's a little too over the top. Like, I don't know. I, I just, it was hard for me to kind of buy into some of the things that Boba Fett was doing. Not that he was doing, but like the way, just the way they shot it, it just seemed way, it just didn't seem right to me. It's like, this doesn't seem like Star Wars completely. Completely. That being said, I still love this episode. I think it's great. It might be one of my favorite episodes, despite again, because I think the way it's written, the way it's constructed from a narrative standpoint is so good. And the actors are so good in it. Like it's, you know, I, I, I don't really care. So all that being said, I, you know, knowing now that Robert Rodriguez was a last minute fill in, I'm a little more forgiving of it, but if I had my way, I say, let's let Rick Fumiyama and Peyton Reed. Cause I thought Peyton Reed, we were talking about this yesterday. His episode with the spiders, it's phenomenal. Like he executes everything beautifully. That's a great episode. Like it's again, in this fantastic season, we got the frog lady episode. It was actually pretty damn good. Like it, it feels like star Wars. There's a lot of consistency with how it's shot and the pace and everything. So yeah. to be honest, like I, I prefer Reed and Rick Fumiyama over Robert Rodriguez again. But if Robert Rodriguez gets more time, and he's able to prove himself and give him a little more, maybe a little bit better budget or whatever to make it a, a little bit different from what he did, then I'd be down with it. But honestly, like I give get to get some other directors in here because he can he's done his own thing. He doesn't need to prove himself. He's not gonna direct Star Wars anytime soon. Let's let's get Rick Fumiama. Like I like I'm excited that he's coming back next episode because I love his episodes. I they need to give him a freaking like more, in my opinion. And if we're getting Boba Fett series. Give it to Rick, man. That guy will nail it. But that's me. Anyway, that again, I don't want to harp on Robert Rodriguez. He's a phenomenal director. He's very, very good. But I just this episode just was weird. There was some weird stuff in it, and it, it honestly borderline came off at times borderline. Like not saying it did, it was, but it kind of came a little bit fan filmish at times. At times. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't get that vibe at all. <laughs> again, for me, it was mostly the visual style. Um, y yes, and, I, and that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not. I'm not a filmmaker at all. So you, you do a better job. Explain this to people because because I'm well, not doing it, a better job. It kind of just goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. I mean, I get what you're saying with the like the direction of the action scenes too, especially there's that one shot where he like, he's got the stormtrooper on the ground and then he stabs him with the end of the stick. And it's kind of like in slow motion. And that's not something that star Wars usually does. And so that felt a little, 
I wouldn't even say weird, but it was it was definitely something that felt like a stylistic choice that was like only this director would do it that way kind of thing. Like not the kind of thing you're going to see in Star Wars all the time. But I mean, for me, I liked his direction of the action scenes, even though it was a little bit different. And again, you could tell he definitely brought his own style to it. I feel like that's the purpose of having different directors on The Mandalorian and telling these different types of stories. Um, so I thought that was fine, although I can see why, like, I, I know some other people have said similar things and, you know, his style may just not work for everybody or it may not work for Star Wars in particular, even if you like his other movies. It wasn't, um, it, it wasn't like it was all bad either. It just was inconsistent. Like some things were fine. I just thought, I just thought sometimes it went overboard. Like it just got, it was too over the top of like what Boba Fett was doing, like, it just seemed not that, that he was incapable of doing the things, it's just how he shot it, the results of what he was doing. It just it just seemed a little too a little too much for me. But again, you bring up a great great point. The whole point of giving different directors is to get a different style and different feel. And I think that's important because if everyone's doing the same thing, it will get boring. So I I, I definitely support more things like this. I just this outing, when you can when you combine the weird lighting of everything with his style, his, his, his distinct style and fighting style. It just came across weird at times. And it just came across like, again, almost fan filmage because yeah. the stormtroopers looked so like, it looked so pristine. They looked plastic. Well, they really are plastic. I don't know. Yeah. And, and again, I think that was not necessarily an issue with the costumes, but again, from, from someone who has shot a fan film in a similar looking location, like, yeah, like just it being out in this barren desert area, like shot in the middle of the day with like just the harsh natural sunlight on the stormtrooper costumes. Like it just that was the part that felt fan filmish to me. It's like not that I'm saying I'm as good a director as Robert Rodriguez, but I'm like, I could have gone out and shot this, you know. Exactly. And, and again, I like Robert Rodriguez. I don't, I'm not trying to talk smack, but it's just. It just didn't always work for me. And the reason why I love this episode is because John Favreau is a phenomenal, like, writer. Like, I love Favreau. So that's why I love this episode. Yeah. And I, I mean, don't know, just maybe my. Oh, I was no, going to say maybe my Boba Fett fanboy is shading my criticism of the episode, but I honestly did not get those vibes while I was watching it. Maybe, like I said, I would just in the moment of seeing Boba Fett in action again, where I just really wasn't noticing that stuff and even on my subsequent viewings of it i'm still just drawn in by seeing boba fett back and i totally agree with you though paul where it is mainly how it's written and the dialogue and the performances that make this episode stand out and why i love it so much more so than the action but at the same time the action never felt distracting to me in a way that it took me out of the experience from enjoying seeing the return of boba fett so i don't know <laughs> maybe i'm watching it with rose-colored Boba Fett tinted lenses or something, but I just didn't get that same vibe. And even with the whole idea of the location of where they're shooting, I can see where you're coming from, but it's just, I just chalk it up in the universe where it's a big galaxy out there and there's going to be planets that sometimes look like that. <laughs> yeah. Titan just happened to be one of those. So uh, that stuff I can understand, but for me personally, while watching it, it didn't really hamper my enjoyment or took me out of the experience at all. Yeah. And I mean, again, for me, it was mostly just the visual look of everything. The action I thought was fantastic. Seeing Boba go ham on these guys was awesome. And again, like you could definitely tell this was Robert Rodriguez's 
own brand of like kind of stylized, gritty, violent action that maybe wouldn't work for Star Wars all the time. But for Boba Fett, having been spit out of the Sarlacc pit, living in the harsh desert for all these years, and he's grabbing his gaffy stick and finally, you know, getting back at, you know, I mean, I guess not that he's got a particular beef with the Empire or anything, but it's just finally seeing him in action again. Um, I thought it was really cool. Uh, first seeing him, you know, taking the guys out with, with his gaffy stick. And then he finally like in the middle of the fight, just goes on the razor crest, gets his armor back and shows up in the middle of the fight to save, uh, Din and Fennec, you know, they're cornered by like a whole squad of stormtroopers, and Boba just takes them all out by himself. Um, oh, it was man. just freaking awesome. He's using the pistol. Oh, he's, there, <laughs> he's using the blaster pistol. He's using the the wrist gauntlet blaster on his other hand. He shoots the the knee pad rockets. The knee pad rockets, <laughs> like, and then the rest of them get scared and get back on their ships and take off. And he takes them down with a missile and you know hits one of them. It crashes into the other one. And Din's like, nice shot. He's like, oh, I was aiming for the other one. Um, Man, it was just so cool to see him back in action in the full armor. I actually liked how it was like a hybrid of like he still had the Tuscan robes on under it. So it was like he had the upper armor and the helmet and everything, but then like almost like this, you know, robe flowing out from under it. I don't know if he'll keep that look, but I thought it worked. Like I thought it was pretty cool. So um yeah, just the the glorious return of Boba Fett in live action. And for anybody that's ever made been made fun of for thinking that Boba Fett was really cool, even though he never did anything in the movies, well, here you go. That's all gone now. <laughs> and I can only imagine if this was being shown in a theater with a bunch of people, his return in the armor just went a loud cheer that would have gotten it. Because I know I would have been among them and I was doing it, seeing the episode. It was just so... Good to finally see it. And I mentioned how in the Marshall episode, well, even though it is Cobb Vance under the armor, just how cool it was to see that iconic Boba Fett armor in action again. But there's only part of you that thinks it would have been even better if that was Boba Fett in that armor for that episode. But now we got an episode where it is Boba in that armor and it just delivered on all points. Seeing him in action was fantastic. Using all his gadgets that he had, like I said, the knee rockets. I remember reading about those in the original visual guide for the star Wars trilogy and seeing it in it actually use it in action. It was just really cool. And I was just geeking out so much. It was just everything I was dreaming and hoping for when uh, we found out Boba Fett was going to be returning in this series. And like I said, at the start of when we're talking about this episode, even Talk, hearing the reports about a Boba Fett standalone movie. This is why I was so excited about it. Just the potential of how cool it could be to see this character again. And this episode showed you why. And from a story standpoint, from his his history that we know being a clone of Django, but then just when you're talking about how cool it would be from an action standpoint and how it delivered on that as well. And, just, and I just don't want to understand how important it is that it having it be Temuar Morrison playing him again too, because it's, that's just a big factor to why I think seeing the character again is so exciting. That history that he has being a clone of Django and his ties with the clone troopers and just having that consistency of that same actor playing him in live action all the way, starting from attack of the clones up until now, it's just great that they got him back for it. And again, he has such a cool voice too. So hearing that voice come out, of that helmet it just brings a smile to my face every time it was fantastic and that's not even the end of it because i guess you can't do a return of boba fett 
and not have him be in his armor, but then not showing him in his armor flying slave one as well. That just looked awesome too. Even though he was just going on a recon to see him in the cockpit talking through the helmet, it was fantastic. So we, they pretty much checked off a lot of the boxes. I was hoping to see um, the return of Boba Fett fully. And there's even more to come once we get to the very end of the episode. But for right now, everything was just, it just kept getting better and better as the episode kept going along and we're seeing more of Boba, especially when he got the armor back. It was just, again, a dream come true seeing that. Yeah. But then of course that sort of triumph is short lived. Like he, he finishes taking out all the stormtroopers, and immediately you see a flash from up in the sky, a turbo laser bolt comes down and just wipes out the razor crest. Um, not expecting that. <laughs> Not expecting that at all. And, you know, this was – I guess this was another moment where maybe I'll agree with you, Paul, that it, it was maybe a little bit weirdly directed. Like – and I, I'm i kind of conflicted on this because on the one hand, I don't like when uh, – movies and shows like hit you over the head with like the melodramatic stuff and like kind of tell you how to feel. But on the, on the other hand, I felt like at least in the moment, this was like maybe a little bit glossed over and maybe it was just the fact that we can't see Din's face. And so you couldn't really see that look of like shock or sorrow as his ship is wiped out. But you know, I mean the, the razor crest isn't like as, as iconic as like the millennium Falcon or anything by any stretch, but like, you know, we've kind of grown attached to that ship and, and seen, Din and Grogu go on a lot of adventures together and seen a lot of cute moments between the two of them in the cockpit and all that stuff. Um, and then for it to just be gone in an instant and then, you know, Boba's like, oh, shoot, well, I got to make sure they don't go blow up my ship. And he takes off and then we cut to Moff Gideon on the cruiser and the episode is just kind of moving right along. I I kind of wish they had taken just a brief, you know, moment longer to to kind of show – I don't know, to to let Din grieve for the Razor Crest, I guess. And I know you see that at the end as he's kind of like picking through the wreckage of it. But um, I don't know, that felt kind of like abrupt. Um, and, and I felt maybe could have been done in a way that was a little bit more emotionally impactful. Um, but at the same time, I think the whole point of it was for it to be kind of abrupt and shocking and out of nowhere. I mean, it definitely didn't feel like, oh, that was, you know, random and and you know, came out of nowhere. Like obviously with the empire being there, we know that Moff Gideon's got his cruiser and he's got to be there somewhere. So like, it made sense. I'm not saying that, you know, it, it came out of nowhere and made no sense, but I, I just felt like the emotion could have been built up a little bit more there. Um, but still, I mean, we knew something was going to happen because the episode title was called The Tragedy. And it was right after like this opening cute scene between Din and Grogu in the cockpit that's got you feeling good. And then the episode title, The Tragedy, comes up and you're thinking, oh, like something bad's going to happen. And uh, that was, you know, the first thing. And then, of course, Grogu gets captured by the Empire at the end. But um, I guess it made sense that he had to suffer some kind of loss along the way because obviously they're not going to kill Din and they're not going to kill Grogu. And he doesn't really have anybody else that he's like super close with. I mean, they could, you know, have like grief or Kara, but obviously they weren't with him at this point. There's not really like a uh, a companion that travels with him or something that could have been, you know, that Gideon could have killed off um, just to kind of give some grief to it. But um, so the Razor Crest had to go, I guess. It's funny that you say you're surprised of his reaction or or I don't know, surprise, but maybe wanted to see a little more of a reaction or to, once the Razor Crest blew up. I kind of felt that way once the Dark Troopers took Grogu, 
where he didn't let loose a lot of emotion. Obviously, I know he's concerned and he wants him back, but I was expecting him to yell at like like Grogu or like no <laughs> something like to say something. But yeah. he felt stayed remainly calm about it. But I think that's just his probably his personality <laughs> and the way he was brought up with the Mandalorians he was with. But obviously, we know he's still concerned. He tells Fennec to tell Boba not to shoot on the dark troopers because he had a clear shot to take him down. But that stood out to me more so than his reaction to the Razor Crest is when he didn't really say anything once the dark trooper took Grogu. Yeah, I guess that makes sense too. I think for me, it was more just that, I mean, I think I kind of had a feeling that they were going to take him anyways. I think even hearing that title, oh, the yeah, tragedy, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, see, just seeing the title, the tragedy, I, I kind of was running through the possibilities in my mind. I was like, well, there's nobody that they're going to kill off. So I bet the empire is going to capture the kid. And I even thought that maybe they were going to blow up the razor crest too. But again, that moment just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I felt that that tragedy. I, yeah. I, I felt that that was more of a shocking loss. Whereas the dark troopers taking Grogu, I was like, yeah, we knew that was going to happen. So just hearing the name first the, of the episode, the tragedy, I thought it was going to maybe be in reference to Grogu on the scene stone and, getting a vision and we get a flashback of the tragedy kind of, of how his life was after being uh, sent away from the temple or hidden away after order 66. And maybe that was what the tragedy was referring to, but obviously that wasn't the case. And it refers to the events that transpired here at the end with him being captured and then the razor crest being blown up. But initially that's what I thought maybe the tragedy was going to refer to because like you, like what, how much tragedy could there be when we know they're not going to, kill off really any of the those two main characters yet din and the child but that's what i initially thought but then it made sense to when you finally see what did transpire here at the end yeah which also by the way obviously we get official confirmation these are dark troopers they look really yep. <laughs> cool in live action um i don't know if you guys thought of this but they reminded me of like the x-men sentinels where they've got like the rocket feet and just these big menacing little, little bit. Uh, robot looking dudes with the glowing eyes. And I mean, for so, something about the way that they like when they're streaking down like head first and then they all kind of like flipped around and they were flying down feet first. Um, it reminded me of something mm -hmm. out of like X-Men days of future past, but um, they look really cool. I can't wait to see more of them in action and see, you know, how tough they are to take down in a fight. Obviously here, you know, they weren't shooting at anybody or anything. They came just to get Grogu and took back off. Um, yeah, and then building like, that anticipation to see the eventual fight <laughs> that yeah. our heroes are going to have with the dark trooper. And then, like you said, it was again, just really cool to see slave one in action. You would think I would remember this because I play like as slave one in battlefront so much. Like that's probably my favorite ship to use just cause you can blow up a bunch of people at once with seismic charges. But I always forget how much I love the sounds of the engines of slave one. Yes. Like <laughs> that might be my favorite sounding ship in star Wars. Um, so it's great to just not only see that ship again, but hear it. Um, and to see him, you know, tailing the dark troopers. And it was also interesting seeing Boba's reaction as he like broke through the clouds and saw them flying back to the cruiser. And he's like, oh, I can't like, you know, he's like, I can't believe my eyes, but like, this is actually happening. It's not a spice dream. Like the empire is back and sounds like terror, like almost terrified or at least in disbelief. And it was kind of weird, like for someone who worked for the Empire for so long, like, and I know he makes it clear, even at the beginning of the episode, he says, I have no allegiance. And this is why I'm wondering, um, 
we'll we'll get more into this as we're talking about uh him being a Mandalorian. Like he says that like Django was a foundling, but he also like he's not part of a Mandalorian group or he hasn't sworn any creed or anything. Likewise, even though we've seen him working for the Empire, he's not Imperial. Like he's Boba Fett, he's out for himself. He has no allegiance to anybody. But just to know that he worked with the Empire Invader for so long, I was kind of surprised that he was so taken aback to see an Imperial cruiser. And I almost wondered if they're trying to signify something to us, the audience, about where this show is headed in terms of like sort of their their overall game and what Moff Gideon is up to and everything because – like, we know, obviously, that there's still an Imperial remnant, and we know, like, the whole backstory with, like, the Battle of Jakku and all that kind of stuff, but then, obviously, Moff Gideon and his guys are still out here doing their own thing. But the way that Boba said, like, the Empire is back, I'm like, are we working towards, like, and obviously this is going to, like, this is going to be leading towards the First Order, but are we going to see, some like, another resurgence of the Empire sometime between now and the time of the sequel trilogy before they kind of fade into the background and come back as the first order. Um, yeah, that's what I thought too, Kyle. I was, I was really confused by that dialogue, but at the same time I could just, it, I think it's also just, he's surprised by it and you're emphasizing the fact that, that it's not just a little, little blip that Gideon actually has like legit things. And I think that's what they're trying to say more than anything. Cause I, I don't think they're coming back, my, me personally. But yeah, that's I, I was a little like thought that was a little weird myself. Yeah, and I think we'll find out more about that as the season goes on. I mean, like we said, I'm sure we'll get more information about their plans for Grogu and all that. But one thing that I really would like to know too is like, what is the true scope of like the forces that Moff Gideon has at his disposal and the group that he's part of? And even, you know, is he the top of the food chain and is it just him and the guys on his ship or are they in connection with other imperial moths or admirals and you know do they have other cruisers and you know sort of how big is this imperial remnant so maybe we'll find out more about that by the end of the season as well yeah that's true that's very true um and so then of course you know uh boba heads back in slave one um, we see Din, you know, going through the wreckage of the ship and, you know, he pulls out the the little ball that uh, Grogu liked playing with all the time. And then, um, of course, the Beskar spear that Ahsoka gave him, that still survived. So, you know, we're headed for an eventual showdown where we're going to see him using that against Moff Gideon. Um, and now, obviously, there's a little bit more personal stakes. Not only does he want the kid back, but he's probably going to want to get some payback for, for him blowing up his ship. Um but then uh, Boba and Fennec decide to stick around. He says, hey, I promised that, uh, you know, we would um, ensure the safety of the child in exchange for you giving me the armor back. And Din's like, well, that doesn't matter now the child's gone. And he's like, no, like that still stands until the child is returned to you safely. Like we're in your service. So, again, I, it was a little bit surprising to see Boba Fett acting that honorably. And I don't know if it's because – of his Mandalorian connection with Din or because the, the Sarlacc pit changed his outlook on life or maybe a little bit of both, but I thought that was cool to see. And now we get to see Din cruising around with Boba Fett and Slave One, at least for the next couple episodes of the season. Um, 
But then, of course, this is also where he pulls up the little hologram of the chain code on his armor and says, you know, I want you to see this. Here's me, Boba Fett, and then here's my father, Django, and I've you know, owned this armor for 25 years and whatever, and it was Django's before him. And this is where Din realizes that Django was a foundling um, and kind of comes to terms with, okay, I am giving this back to a guy who's a Mandalorian. And Boba even says, uh, you know, and and my father fought, even fought in the Mandalorian Civil War. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so not only kind of reintroducing some stuff from the Legends canon, but this also, I think this even ties in with stuff in Clone Wars because it's probably the same Civil War that where Obi-Wan and Satine first met. Because I'm trying to remember, like, in the episode where he's explaining their history to Anakin, I think he says something about, maybe he just said a mission to Mandalore when I was younger. But I think he and Qui-Gon... He's a mission to Mandalore, I'm pretty sure. Right, but I think he also explains that he and Qui-Gon were trying to protect Satine, and I think it was during a civil war with Satine's people. I forget exactly what he says, but it would line up perfectly with this, that, you know, maybe during that same time period was when Jango became a foundling and was was fighting in this conflict. So um, just opening the door for another potential story that we could get some somewhere down the line in a novel or comic form or something like that. Um but yes, so Paul, you got your wish. Man, uh, Boba and Django are officially Mandalorians. Um, Not my wish. I just predicted it. Well, I assumed you were predicting because you wanted to see it happen. Um, well, I mean, I mean, y- yes and no. I mean, I, I never, th- I never really liked the idea of Boba Fett being the, the first Mandalorian we see in our, in the star Wars universe, not being a Mandalorian. It's, yeah. it's such a, it's yeah. such a George thing to do. You know? <laughs> and, and, and I was telling this to Tim yesterday, yesterday during our, our marathon, that that's one of the things I love about Dave Filoni is that again, I keep, ref- I always reference those uh, special features for the Mandalore arcs in season two, because you get to see Dave Filoni off the cuff really. And because him and George have such a great relationship that you get to see really he can kind of be himself. He's a little more guarded now because he has to, but he, he could be a little bit more fl- not flippant, but you know, a little more honest about his relationship with George and arguing with George and things like that. And and it just you get the impression that Dave really disagreed. Again, I'm, I'm just taking away from what I, I see from this, but you can tell that Dave really disagreed with George on the Mandalorian culture and and he really wanted to honor what the fans loved about them. And George was like, nope, we're going to do those white, you know, and, and he obviously, you know, played a good soldier and did it, but you could tell that Dave and him had a lot of talks about it. And, you know, I, I think that's what I love about Dave is, and when he said this, I said, I said this yesterday that Dave knows, I think when to really like kind of dive into to like the, the, the EU and, and give the fans what they want, but also give them something different too. And I think that's what makes him such a great heir apparent to George is that George likes to you know do what he wants to do regardless of if fans are going to like it or not. I mean, look at Jar Jar and how he really did not want to you know take him out of the importance of of the or the of the sequel or excuse me the prequel trilogy. He definitely toned him way down. I think more than he was looking forward to, but. At the same time, you know, George still made him an important part of the of the story, despite everyone at the time, you know, voice not everyone, but a lot of people voicing their displeasure about him. Um, you know, with Dave Filoni, it, Dave listens to that, that feedback and really, you know, or at least wants to make people happy 
from that standpoint and, and wants to give fans a little bit of what they want. And I think that now that he's kind of in a control situation instead of just even, because even, you know, four or five years ago when he was doing uh, Rebels, it's like he could only control what he had in Rebels. And now it seems like he has a lot more power now with the Mandalorian being as su- successful as it is. And the Clone Wars, too, being as, as successful as it was when he brought it back. And think about how huge that was when it came out. And that was, it was, you know, it was huge. I mean, everyone was talking about it online. I mean, it was like all the YouTube bloggers and they need something to talk about. But they were all saying it was great. Like, oh, I haven't watched the Clone Wars yet, but all these new episodes are great. You know, it's like, yeah, it's because of Dave. Um, and obviously other people are involved in it besides Dave. But you know what I'm saying. So it's just really nice to see Dave. I think, I think you, you could tell he, and I, and honestly too, John Favreau probably wanted to change it too. It was like, we gotta make these man. Yeah. That's what yeah, I was going to say. We'll, this, we'll, we'll, we'll fix this. This could have even been more of a Favreau thing than a Filoni thing. Like with John being just a big I think, original, I think original trilogy fan. Yeah. Well, I, I think Dave is probably more along the lines of like, this is what the fans want. And John Favreau was like, yeah, I'm one of those fans. Like, that's what I want. No, exactly. I agree. And I was just even thinking too, if you remember the first press release for The Mandalorian, how it mentions Django Fett and Boba Fett in there, as far as talking about, I don't specifically said Mandalorians, but kind of like the next step, and at least the armor of how this is the Mandalorian is going to continue on that legacy, or at least when it comes to bounty hunters. Yeah. And I just think even from back then, that that was kind of the point they wanted to get to during the series is to make Django and Boba actual Mandalorians again. So it's always kind of sound like that was the outset from the get-go with this series. Like if it's successful, we'll eventually get to that point in the story where we could introduce this or not introduce, yeah. but reaffirm that they are Mandalorians again. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Like I've always kind of said from the beginning too, like when they said like in Clone Wars, when Almec says Jango Fett was a common bounty hunter, how he acquired that armor is beyond me. It's like, I know that like in those interviews and stuff, Dave made it pretty clear that George didn't want them to be Mandalorians, but you could also read that as Almec kind of just disowning them. And I think what they do in this episode even kind of reinforces that, that like Almec was born on Mandalore is part of this sort of group that considers themselves Mm -hmm. like the true Mandalorians. And Django was a foundling inducted into, I don't know if it's death watch or maybe some other group. It would be interesting to find out. Maybe he's even part of the same children of the watch that, uh, that Din was a part of. Although I guess we see Django without his helmet on, but maybe he eventually leaves them because we know he's off on his own as a bounty hunter. And again, like I was saying earlier, we don't know how much sort of allegiance he has, if any, to any particular Mandalorian faction. But we know that at some point, you know, Django was adopted as a foundling. Like this Mandalorian culture is in his in his blood, in his history. So um so, you know, there's just different ways to look at it. And it makes sense that Almec would look at somebody like that and not consider them a Mandalorian. Look down upon him. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So yeah. so I don't even, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I was like, I don't even consider this necessarily a retcon. It's just another Star Wars thing that, you know, is true from your own certain point it's of view. It's a retcon. Um, it's a retcon. Come on. Don't even try. It's a retcon. A retcon for what Lucas wanted, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, easily yeah, fixable yeah. Well, that's the universe. true. Yeah. If, if George yeah. Lucas yeah. said they absolutely are not Mandalorians, then yes, it is a retcon of that. But it's not like a hard retcon of the words coming out of Almec's mouth in Clone Wars because that still makes sense from his perspective. No. Well, it makes, that, that's the beauty of continuity and using it and, and using and retcons done right 
this is a right condone right you're not you're not contradicting you're emphasizing a different point of view and they're and again they're you're using the continuity to your advantage and, and explaining it and you're not also discrediting what that person's saying necessarily you're enhancing the story because now you're bringing in the idea of mandalorians look on, looking down on other mandalorians like i brought up also with the heiress and bo katan and things like that so there was so again retcon done right you you you've succeeded to push the narrative uh, boba fett's narrative forward and also not destroying what came before it and and only enhancing it to a potential future battle of so more civil war against mandalorians so that's good yeah definitely I was going to say, I just love this ending sequence for a few reasons. One of them being the kind of hints we got to first, obviously, saying Django was a foundling and how that and Jeng, Boba mentioning the Mandalorian Civil War and just how that, I think that's re- they're really going to pull in from the open season comic, which I just reread today. And it's still such a great story and an origin for Django Fett. And the fact that some of the stuff Boba mentioned was from that comic, it just makes me super happy because I always wish that that could be brought into the main canon. And if they are going to pick the important elements, at least from that story regarding Django's history, I would love that. I think that'd be fantastic. And then also just how it showed the honor that Boba Fett has. And that's always how I pictured the character. Obviously he's someone who's going to go to where the money is as a bounty hunter and his allegiance to be to those who are paying him, even if it's for the empire or even for the rebels. I don't know, depending if that ever happened, but I just like the idea, harkening back to what Hondo told him in Clone Wars, when he revealed to where uh, a sort or a thing was going on the, the chase or where the prisoners were that I'm sorry in that episode. And Hondo says it's the honorable thing to do. It's what your father Django would have done. So just carrying on that he does have honor with him, just as a character in general. And I know how you can maybe look at it as being a changed man from the Sarlacc bit, but I like to think that was always part of his character, and that's the Boba Fett I like seeing and the fact that it was on display in this episode, just why I love it so much. I just kind of my ears and eyes as I was seeing it all unfold, how it was exactly how I wanted to see it. And then also the fact that we're going to see him for the rest of the season, probably the fact that he's going to be him and Fennec Shan are going to be teaming up with Din to try to rescue the child. I, I would never have expected that, especially after that tease of the first episode and going on, with several episodes without no hint of seeing Boba again, it just, the dream come true. It really is. The fact that we're going to see Boba in his armor, teaming up with Din Jared and Fescu Grogu, I mean, sign me up. I am more than ready for these last two episodes, even before <laughs> with Boba being involved. But now that he is, it's just taken my excitement to a whole nother level. I cannot wait. Uh, I got to roll everyone, but you know what? I just want to just give a real quick final thought and thoughts about these last few episodes, regardless of nitpicks or my, you know, not loving everything that, uh, as directing in this uh, last episode, I love these two episodes and I love the season of the Mandalorian. I can't believe what we're getting. It's a dream, a literal dream come true of how good everything is. And, I cannot wait for the next two weeks. It's, you know, Christmas is coming. I'm excited about that. But man, I'm more excited about the Mandalorian, to be quite honest. And I just cannot wait to see. I'm just so thankful during this pandemic we have this because it's really been truly escapism to the best abilities. So, yeah, it's been awesome. And uh, this is uh, Paul signing off. Godspeed, Rebels. 
Yeah. All right. So Tim, we can just, uh, you know, wrap up the episode here and give our closing thoughts. We're just about done anyways, but, um, yeah, it was just, it was cool to see Boba Fett back in action again, man. And I mean, for me, like, like I said, I, I think you and Paul are probably a little bit bigger fans of the character than I am. I think I probably went through a phase where I was one of those people that was like, eh, I don't really care about Boba Fett. He's not like, I don't get why he's such a big deal. He doesn't do anything in the movies. And then I think I reached a certain point. Maybe it was around the time of the Clone Wars when we got more into the Mandalorians and he just became, it became kind of more interesting to me. I mean, and he's got that sort of, obviously that Western trope of like the man with no name, like we don't know anything about him, but that's kind of why he's intriguing. Um, and also obviously the Mandalorian armor just looks really cool. Um, and so I'm still like, he's far from my favorite character. Uh, but like, I've got a Boba Fett black series action figure. Cause again, Boba Fett's just always one of the coolest looking figures. Um, and I'm glad that we got to see him again this season. But also, I think we had talked about, too, like in our predictions for the season and where the show might go. I was like, I don't feel like they need to bring Boba Fett back because they could be looking to just kind of replace him with Din Jaren and be like, OK, let's move forward with a new Mandalorian bounty hunter character and give him more personality and, and character development and stuff than Boba ever had. So I didn't think it was a necessity to bring him back. But now that they did, I'm super glad they did. Um, first of all, and like you said, just seeing that first episode and wondering like, when are we going to see him again? And we finally get that payoff here. We get to see slave one again. We see him in action again with the armor and it just did not disappoint. Um, so I'm glad Boba's back. I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. I kind of, I hope that he has a limited role moving forward. Like, obviously I think he's going to have a big part to play in these next couple, uh, couple episodes before the end of the season. Um, but I don't know if I'd want to see him be like a recurring character on the show just because I don't want him to overshadow Din Djarin. Um, But I'm sure we'll be seeing more of him now that he's back. You know, we could like obviously we already talked about the possibility of a Boba Fett spinoff and all that. And I'd love to see more more stories with his character, too. So um, more Boba Fett is certainly never I mean, a bad, be, never a bad thing. Yeah, I think it'd be if he's used kind of like how Grief Cargo and Cara Dune are, I'd be all for that. Like maybe one or two episodes a season if he's going to kind of become part of that main cast. And I've, some of the rumors I've heard about the potential Boba Fett series is that it might be set before the events of Return of the Jedi. So if we could kind of get, you know, Boba show up here and there in the Mandalorian in the, this period of the timeline, but then his series would be set before where um, he is the greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy. Uh, that, I'd be all for that too. And I guess one thing I would say, a minor nitpick I would have, is that I was hoping Din would have a reaction of hearing the name Boba Fett just from a reputation he had as the bounty hunter, as being the best there was in the galaxy. Or even the stormtroopers, once they saw the armor again, realizing that, oh, this is like, that's, is that the bounty hunter Boba Fett? Just that type of recognition to kind of give more credence to that legendary status that kind of we as fans in, in that time period of the original trilogy had as him being the greatest bounty hunter there was. So, Again, this is a minor nitpick, but it would have been nice to hear him kind of get that recognition for the reputation he had uh, when he was the bounty hunter. Yeah, it'll but be maybe that'll come eventually later on. Yeah, I was going to say it'll be interesting to see if we get that at all for the rest of the season. I mean, we know obviously now like Mayfeld is coming back um, and we'll see if we get any other familiar faces or any other kind of like bounty hunters or assassins that end up joining their crew. And maybe one of them will be like, holy crap, it's Boba Fett. Um but yeah, so obviously we get to see all of them traveling together in Slave One now, and they go back to Navarro, where Cara Dune is now an official marshal of the New Republic. 
Um, and, you know, Din asks for her help locating Mayfeld because he was a former Imperial. And so he's going to, like, he wants to have him help them track uh, Moff Gideon's ship. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, Mayfeld can, like, slice Imperial codes or if he still has contacts in the Empire or anything like that. Um, I guess maybe he just figured that as a, a former Imperial, that's his, his best lead or his best place to start. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of a sort of team up effort this becomes. Cause obviously we know we're going to get, uh, Mando and Boba and Fennec and, uh, and, uh, Mayfeld together again. Um, who knows if he may have the other criminals with him from that episode last season. And who knows if like grief or Kara might join in or if Bo-Katan might join in, um, like I said, I feel like Bogatan is kind of doing her own thing, and I almost would rather them just yeah, I agree. successfully get the child back from Moff Gideon, but not kill him, so that then we can have future conflicts with him and Bogatan and have Din be a part of that as well. Um, and again, just with her reclaiming the Darksaber and Mandalore, that feels like too much to cram into two more episodes on top of everything else that we've already got going on. Um, but of course, at the end here, you get Moff Gideon like you know, he sees the child using the force on the stormtroopers and then he gets tired out and then he's kind of taunting him with the dark saber and he has him put him in shackles and says, you know, send word to Dr. Pershing and, you know, we've got our donors. So I think we're definitely going to find out more about Gideon and his plans and what the empire is up to. Uh, we're definitely going to get some sort of payoff to Grogu on the seeing stone and see if any Jedi show up by the end of the season. Um, and then, you know, just see this big epic bounty hunter, you know, rogue scoundrel team up to try to go get him back. So uh, I can't wait to see where we're headed for these last couple episodes. I mean, I think we've got a, a good enough like story set up now that we kind of know like what the goals are. But at the same time, we still really have no idea what we're going to see. Um, and just the possibilities are endless. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I can't wait to see what happens. Me either. Like I said, the excitement's already there, obviously, for the series and every episode in general. But where we're at now and just what's the potential of what's to come in these last two episodes, throwing in the Boba Fett factor for me, it's just incredible. I'm ec ecstatic. I mean, I'm running out of superlatives to say how <laughs> excited I am for these final few episodes and what they can mean. And it's just really, really fun to not only watch it, but then do these episodes where we get to talk about it for almost four hours that's always the appeal for me when i watch it being fortunate enough to do a podcast and talk about star wars with you and paul and this adds to the excitement when i'm watching the episode knowing that we're going to get to talk about it not too long after and i never felt more excited to talk about two episodes of the series than i did for the jedi and the tragedy they were just some of the best star wars i've seen really i mean going back and watching that marathon that I did with Paul yesterday, just seeing how the flow of the season in general is great. When you watch it all together, back to back to back to back, <laughs> um, it really feels like you're watching one cohesive story play out um, amongst these episodes. It was just a really fun experience. And I can't wait to do that once the season is completed and get the full scope of the story that was played out in season two. But Disney Plus would need kind of like a play all feature. So you'd have to go through <laughs> the intros and recaps all the time to make it really cinematic. Yeah, that true. would be nice. But yeah, this season has been fantastic. I'm, I'm waiting for the last two to declare it a perfect season because to me, it's almost that <laughs> already. I don't think there's been a bad or a weak episode yet. 
And I think that trend is going to continue with these last two. But man, it's you keep thinking it's going to be hard to top the episode you just saw. But these last two, man, they were just some of the best. <laughs> um, I'm actually I know the Jedi is probably the better episode when you consider everything. But I probably had more fun just geeking out with the tragedy seeing Boba Fett back again, just being a fan of his for so long. It was just something I was hoping to see eventually and finally getting that. It was just amazing to experience as a lifelong Star Wars fan. So again, right now it's a toss up. I know the Jedi is probably the easy, easier pick. And I would agree that it is probably overall the better episode, but just the <laughs> Boba Fett fanboy in me just makes it that one so enjoyable and makes the decision for me to pick between the two kind of a toss up. But it's hard to complain or even worth debating about once you have two episodes like this back to back to watch. It was just fantastic. So, yeah, that's how you follow up an amazing episode like the Jedi. You do it in a completely different way, but yet yeah, you get that still exciting feeling after you're done watching it. That's exactly what the tragedy was. And it just made for a fantastic one, two punts these last two weeks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I, for me, it's pretty easy to say that the Jedi is my favorite of the two. Um, the tragedy was also great. Um, you know, few minor issues aside that Paul and I talked about. I mean, it was just cool seeing Boba back again and the action was awesome. Um, and a good, you know, story setup for where we're headed these last couple episodes with with Din needing to now go rescue the child from Moff Gideon. But um, yeah, the Jedi, uh, just seeing Ahsoka in live action was just, you know, it's one of those landmark Star Wars moments. But then also getting the information, like the backstory on Grogu and having his name revealed and all that kind of stuff. It was just a really important episode for the show as well. Um and it's funny because I, you know, like you said, just going off of like initial reactions in which when you had the most fun watching, I maybe feel like the heiress is still my favorite episode of the season. I mean, that's the only one that I watched. And as soon as it was over, I immediately just backed it up and watched it again. Um, of course, I was watching that one with my sister who came up to visit me that weekend. And we both are obviously diehard Clone Wars fans. And so we were just geeking out and super hyped up the whole time seeing Bogotan in live action. But I mean, the Jedi, I feel like I had like some minor gripes with it the first time I watched it, but that's one of those ones that grows on me more and more over time, as opposed to one that I was completely blown away by on my first viewing. So that one is creeping up. And when the dust settles, I think that might be my favorite episode of the season. But then, of course, we got two more and we don't know what's in store for those. So, um, yep. I don't know. But like you said, just it, it's been a fantastic season overall. There really hasn't been a bad episode. Um, I mean, I feel like the passenger was the only one that was like just pretty good and not like spectacular, um, but it certainly wasn't bad. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, just about everything else has been ranged from like solid to fantastic. And I can't wait to see how they finish out the season. Um but yeah, like you said, we've, we've spent almost four hours talking about it, which again is one of the joys of getting to enjoy a show like this is then getting to come on and talk about it with you guys. That's the other thing. It was painful having to wait two weeks to talk about the Jedi. Like, you know, we've been recording pretty much every two weeks through this season yeah. and talking about two episodes at once. And I feel like it always happens that like my first my favorite episode is the first of the two and so then i gotta wait two weeks to talk about it like it was hard waiting two weeks to talk about the marshal it was really hard waiting two weeks to talk about the heiress and then it was just excruciating waiting two weeks to talk about the jedi um but uh yeah so who knows what's gonna happen next week but we're gonna have to wait 
you know, two more weeks to talk about that. But then I'm sure the season finale is going to blow us away just like last year. Um, but it's been fun. And before we wrap up, um, I'm sure we've got some uh, social media comments and stuff for you to uh, read for us before we head out here. Yep. As always, got a few responses on Twitter and Facebook. So starting off with Twitter uh, from Spencer5150, he says, these episodes blew the door open on the Star Wars universe. While the comics slash books are canon, the universe has felt hollow since the live action stuff is more prevalent. This expands the world to more stories and mythos we haven't seen since 77. And then Derek Beebe at Derek J. Beebe says, absolutely love both episodes. So amazing to see Ahsoka and Boba in glorious live action. This season hasn't had a single misstep, and I'd love to see a Boba solo series. And then Jake Wade sent us a message because his thoughts were just too too big to contain in one tweet. So he says, these last two episodes have been incredible. Star Wars at its very best. Thrilling, exciting, moving, action-packed, and most importantly, fun. It's not so bogged down by the past that it is off-putting to casual viewers, yet at the same time, it's an incredible rewarding for the more hardcore fans. The payoff is incredible. This season has been full of surprises, the last two even more so, and I'm not sure which episode of the two I enjoyed more. So Jake is in the same boat as I am. (laughs) But I am teetering towards episode six, mainly due to Boba. How awesome was that? And the brilliant setup for the finale. I think there is one more big surprise in stores, which is going to end this incredible season with a flourish. Grogu reached out. The call has probably been heard. A Jedi will be coming. But who? I can't wait to find out. Um, And then he concludes by saying, Luke is the obvious answer, but the way the season is going, it could be anyone. Cough, Mace Windu. (laughs) So maybe he's in agreement with Paul's theory from earlier there with maybe Mace showing up. But then on Facebook, uh, we got... A comment from James Hewing, who says, uh, who asked us, who would you cast as Thrawn? And also Thrawn with a bunch of exclamation points. <laughs> so James <laughs> is excited for the Thrawn name drop. He says, this season just gets better and better. Who is going to answer the call, Luke, Ezra, or Cal? So in regards to casting of Thrawn, I'm not someone who's big on fan casting because it usually, I always like to let the creative forces behind the stories they're telling and the actors they want to play to choose. And then I'll just wait and see if I enjoy it. Um, so I don't know. I particularly don't have anyone in mind for Thrawn, but I'll just to give an answer, go back to that uh, Jason Palmer mural from celebration where he had Thrawn pretty much look like Pierce Brosnan. So <laughs> if they decide to get Pierce Brosnan in to play Thrawn, I wouldn't mind that. I mean, well, first of all, to your point on fan casting, normally I agree with you, but Look at how the, you know, Rosario Dawson was a popular fan casting choice for Ahsoka, and look how that turned out. Um, obviously, yeah, I mean, I'll, just me in general, as far as thinking about anyone, I never really do that or have a particular person in mind. I just rather them tell me who they're going to play, and then I'll sit back and <laughs> hopefully enjoy the performance. Yeah. I think but it's for, not like fan casting is a horrible thing. I just never really do it. Yeah, and I don't I do not do it a whole lot myself, but sometimes when you see one where you're just like, oh, that fits, it's just kind of hard to get it out of your head. Like for me, when I think about the possibility of Luke showing up in, in live action in this time period, I just picture Sebastian Stan. Now it could be somebody else who could also do a fantastic job and you know surprise us and I'd be totally fine with that i'm not like dead set on him doing it but i just think you know i've seen 
the the side by side images of him and Mark Hamill and heard people talk about it and I'm like yeah I think that would be fun. Um, as far as Thrawn, I think Benedict Cumberbatch would be a fantastic pick. Um, I also think you know because I don't necessarily think you have to have somebody that looks the part because they'd probably do at least some amount of prosthetics. Um, if they were going to try to match it to Rebels where, you know, Thrawn has a little bit of like a, an alien looking face um, and has a little bit of like a different skull structure. Like you look at his his sort of cheekbones and like the bones in his forehead um, and it looks a little bit different. So they could do like a makeup job on somebody to make them look more like Thrawn. I think having Lars Mikkelsen, who does the voice in Rebels, would also not be a bad idea because whoever does it has to nail the voice. Um, I yeah. think that's that's a big part of the performance. So he could do it, too. Um, like you said, Pierce Brosnan also not a bad choice, at least just based on looks. But I think, I think Lars Mikkelsen for the voice and Benedict Cumberbatch, just cause he can do, I'm sure, you know, he can play everything from Khan to Dr. Strange to a freaking dragon, you know, crawling around on the ground with <laughs> motion capture. So I'm sure he could pull off, you know, a, a good performance of just a, a chilling, uh, sort of cerebral villain like Thrawn is. So I think that would be a cool choice. And yeah, he could look the part. See. He could look the part pretty well too. Yeah, I agree with that too. <laughs> and then also we got a comment on the, for this episode. Jason Burst just wanted to mention too that plus there's a Star Wars Old Republic confirmed update six point two is released this coming Tuesday as I recorded this episode. So <laughs> in case you're still those who are still playing the Old Republic, I know Kyle, you haven't played it much lately. <laughs> yeah, I haven't but. played it in a while. Now I will say all these references to HK eighty seven and Tython and stuff has kind of been having me, you know, wanting to to dive back into it. At least maybe start a new Jedi character and play around on Tython for a little bit. Um but you know, we've also got Battlefront and Squadrons and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the yeah, Old so Republic not, is always one of those games that I keep saying I'm going to get back to at some point. Not, you know, I haven't in a while, but uh, maybe one day I'll just jump in and catch up on all the updated stuff that I've missed. Yeah, I was going to say, not quite sure what that update entails, but <laughs> maybe it's some new content story-wise that the game is going to get. Which, obviously, those who are still playing it will, I'm <laughs> sure, appreciate this, that they are still having content for that game. That Man, how old is it now? Is it? Almost going to come up on 10 years. It is coming up on 10 years. It came out in 2011. Um, and I think it was in November. Yeah, so they would have just had their nine year anniversary. Yeah. I know. That's cool. That it's still going in content. Yeah, definitely. Um, so is that I, it for the, the comments no, and stuff? That was it. Yeah. So I was glad to see most of our followers and listeners having the same excitement about these last two episodes, because yeah, obviously as you heard us for almost four hours, <laughs> we love these ones. So it's glad to hear that most of the star Wars fandom is loving these episodes too, because I really do believe they are historic episodes. When you think about seeing a character like Ahsoka, who for those of us who were there from the beginning, I mean, just me sitting in a theater back in 2008 and it wasn't a very full theater <laughs> seeing the Clone Wars movie and seeing this new character um, who I couldn't even imagine back then sitting in the theater thinking 12 years from now that we'll be seeing her in live action as one of the greatest Star Wars characters and one of the best arcs that the saga has seen. I mean, it's just crazy to think about to where Ahsoka came from to where she's at now. And it's mm -hmm. just so cool that we've been on that, able to see that journey she has had from the beginning of the Clone Wars up until now. And it's just, I think, an historic moment for Star Wars to see such a popular 
main character in animation be brought into live action that was pretty much perfect so it was just fantastic and then for boba fett seeing his return is historic as well so these are just i think historic and important episodes of the mandalorian and i think just in star wars in general so just glad that that excitement i'm feeling you're feeling kyle that paul's feeling a lot of star wars fans are feeling it's just great to know that um once we get star wars content like this yeah definitely um like you said, I mean, trying to choose between a you know a favorite between these two is like you just can't go wrong with either one. How can you not be a happy Star Wars fan when we've got the return of Boba Fett and Ahsoka showing up in live action for the first time? Um, it's just been a great couple weeks of uh, really big, impactful Star Wars stories and really a whole season of it so far. It's just been fantastic. So I can't wait to see how it finishes up. I can't believe we're down to only two episodes left of the season. And the next time we all know, record, that's the only bad part. <laughs> yeah. And the next time we record together, it's going to be, uh, you know, having seen the final episodes of the season and then we'll have to wait another year. But hopefully we're going to have just some mind blowing, awesome stuff to talk about next time we record. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to do it for now. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you to all of you who sent us comments and, and replied to us on social media and stuff. We love hearing from you guys as well. Um, and of course, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com uh, for all of our latest episodes and news stories and all that kind of stuff that we're posting on there. Uh, also, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, yeah that's going to do it for now thank you guys again for tuning in we will see you next time and may the force be with you see you next time everybody